a logo, ACB in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future, 62nd Annual National Conference and Convention, General Session, Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. In a large ballroom filled with rows of tables and chairs sits an audience of conference attendees. In the front center of the room is a stage with a podium in the center and tables on both sides. A banner of the American Council of the Blind logo is on the wall behind the stage. To the left and right of the stage are two walls lined with banners bearing the names of past American Council of the Blind convention locations. A large screen standing to the right of the stage displays a video of the presenters on the stage. Deb Cook-Lewis, ACB president, stands at the podium. All right, we're ready to get started, and we're going to begin with our Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, today, our first-timers, our DKM first-timers, will lead us in the pledge. So if you'd like to all stand for that. All right, good morning, ACB. I want one of those raffle tickets. I'm putting my name out there. This is Janae from Ohio. (laughs) All right, so everybody ready? Everybody standing? If you're able to stand, please stand. All right, put your hand over your heart if you you have a heart. (laughs) All right, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, ACB. And once again this morning, we will hear the list of our corporate sponsors. The American Council of the Blind would like to thank our 2023 conference and convention sponsors. Their continued support is sincerely appreciated. Diamond Sponsors, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Microsoft, Vispero, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, Comcast. Emerald Sponsors, Amazon, MGM Resorts, Cruise, Verizon, Janssen. Ruby Sponsors, AT&T. Google, Waymo, Uber, Netflix, National Cable and Telecom Association, NCTA, Humanware, Charter Communications, Adobe. Onyx Sponsors, Celeste, American Printing House, APH, IRA, Democracy Live Incorporated, Walmart, United Airlines. Coral Sponsors, ACB Families, ACB Lions, National Industries for the Blind, Pearl Sponsors, Library Users of America. Walk Sponsors, Macular Degeneration Foundation. All right. Uh, We're having just a small technical difficulty up here caused by me. This has been one of my mornings. I also, in addition to everything else that's going on, gravity is alive and well in the building, and a cup of coffee landed itself right in the middle of me. (laughs) It's not the end of the world, of course. Oh, okay, good. All right, all right. So we are now ready for our um, angel presentations. And who's our first one, Kim? 
Oh, okay. So we have our, yeah, okay, okay, yes. So our first, um, our first angel this morning will be Don Thompson from Hawaii, very familiar to most of us. So let's begin with that angel. Against the sparkling background, the letters ACB, and below each its corresponding braille cell, ACB presents ACB Angel. Donald Lee Thompson, May 25, 1931 to December 1, 2022. Donald, a white man, aims a smartphone toward a dessert. Donald Lee Thompson was born on May 25, 1931. He died on December 1, 2022 at the age of 91. Born in Modesto, California, Don was blind from childhood. Because of this, Don's life was dedicated to overcoming adversity. Anyone who knew Don understood his passion and commitment for the equal rights, opportunities, and advocacy of independence for the blind community. His understanding, knowledge, and experience of addressing advocacy for persons with disabilities was invaluable. But those persons that Don surrounded himself with also knew the other side of him. Well, Don could certainly be loud, opinionated, and give off a gruff, curmudgeonly disposition, it only disguised the big heart underneath. Some will remember Don's love of music, jazz in particular, and his love of baseball and liberal politics. On a memorial page for Don, a friend, Stephen O'Hara, said, He was a true friend, a friend I miss talking to every day. Don Thompson was one hell of a guy, and I doubt we'll see anyone like him again for many a years. In his professional life, Don obtained a Master of Arts degree in Sociology and a concurrent Master of Arts degree in American Studies from the University of Hawaii at Manoa in 1971. From 1971 until 2007, Don was a professor at Leeward Community College in the Social Sciences Division. After this appointment, Don went on to the University of Hawaii at Manoa, where he took the position of Professor Emeritus. Other accomplishments include President of Friends of Jazz Hawaii from 1990 until 1998 and having served on the State Rehabilitation Council. And of course, many know also that Don dedicated a good portion of his time to the Hawaii Association of the Blind. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Hey, that was excellent, and thank you to uh, Chanel Allen for reading that one, and the next one uh, that we'll be having, also from Hawaii, and this is um, Amelia Citrone. Against the sparkling background, the letters ACB, and below each, its corresponding braille cell, ACB presents ACB Angel. Amelia Citrone, December 9, 1932 to July 11, 2022. Amelia, a white woman with short dark hair and a broad smile. Amelia Teresa Citrone was born on December 9, 1932 in the West Philadelphia neighborhood of Overbrook in Pennsylvania. She passed away with her niece at her side on July 11, 2022 at the age of 89. Amelia grew up part of a big and loving Italian family. Her grandfather ran an Italian grocery store. Her mother was instrumental in assisting immigrants by helping them find jobs and places to live before they entered the country, and her aunt was the first female Maytag distributor. It's no wonder that Amelia is best known for saying, If I can do it, you can do it. Always an adventure, Amelia relocated to Waikiki, Honolulu, Hawaii in 1962. Amelia spent over 40 years in real estate development. She met her beloved husband, the late Philippe Phil V. Bautista, Jr., who was the company controller. 
Amelia had interests in real estate property management. She served in various positions on condominium association boards, including Waikiki Imperial and White Pearl Apartments. Amelia was tenacious and competitive throughout her whole life. She and Phil were active in training for and running in the annual Honolulu Marathon. They ran with a group of friends who called themselves the Assorted Nuts. In fact, she started running in her late 40s and went on to run in nine consecutive marathons. For over 50 years, Amelia served as a board member and treasurer of Hawaii Association of the Blind. She became a vital component of the organization and could be found helping and encouraging members in a multitude of tasks. Her determination was infectious, and Amelia believed in giving something 110% and trusted that every member, from oldest to youngest, had something to offer to HAB. Nearing the end of her tenure as member and treasurer, Amelia focused much of her energy on the youngest members of HAB. She could always be heard saying, I need to teach you young ones. Her absence from the organization has left a hole in the fabric of HAB, but her contributions will remain in our hearts forever. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Wow, as she was someone I did not know, but she sounds like a very, very special and energetic person. That's wonderful. All right, our final angel for this morning is Liz Klein from California. Against the sparkling background, the letters ACB, and below each its corresponding braille cell, ACB presents ACB Angel. Liz Klein, 1944 to 2023. Liz is a white woman with shoulder-length brown hair posing outdoors. Liz Klein was born in California and spent most of her childhood in Kentucky. She attended the Kentucky School for the Blind, and many people from that school still remember her fondly. Liz was a member of the San Francisco, California Council of the Blind chapter for over 25 years. After retiring, she generously volunteered her time to our chapter, the East Bay Center for the Blind in Berkeley, the San Francisco Lighthouse, and numerous other blindness community events. At many California Council of the Blind conventions, you could find Liz at the San Francisco chapter table selling our products to raise funds for what is now known as our Student Education Access Grant. During the pandemic, Liz knitted hats to be distributed to cancer patients through Kaiser Hospital and through the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco. This was an amazing person. Wherever you went, she was there. She was always volunteering. She always had a smile on her face. Sometimes she had a smirk on her face. And as her vision got worse and worse and worse, she finally had to. She finally decided to use a cane, but. She kept on volunteering. She kept on working. She kept on contributing, pretty much until her last days. She was a force to be reckoned with, but she will be remembered in our hearts for the rest of our lives. And she is survived by her son Anthony and two grandsons. We will miss you, Liz. You are a real trooper, and you contributed so much. Thank you so much for living a wonderful life. A logo, ACB in print and braille. American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Trying to keep this all going here. Yes, indeed. All right, we are running just slightly ahead of schedule, so I don't know if we have all of Clark's. I know we have the people who are here in person. I don't know if we have all of our Zoom part of Clark's panel yet. But before we do it, before I turn things over to Kim,、um, I want to just、um, mention because. 
it's always sort of hard and confusing. And this is probably the best time to have all of you and your attention. I want to talk about today's voting because today is the day we will be voting again. And it is our final voting of the year, so savor it and enjoy it. But make sure you do it, for crying out loud. <clears throat> Connie shared with me a great story about a member from her chapter who is off on a trek to, where'd she say, Brazil, I think? Yeah, Brazil. Um, and is setting his alarm every day to to check to see if he needs to be voting for something and because the time zone changes and everything are kind of wonky. So if a guy off in Brazil can get his vote in for his uh, individual vote and his um, affiliate vote and get them all in on time, I think the rest of us can do that, right? So this afternoon, the polls will be open from 2 to 6 Central Time. That's where we are, central time. And the rest of you have to figure out the time zones because I have to figure them out all the time. So you can do it. You Eastern time zone people can do it one time. So it's, it's 2 to 6 p.m. central time, which is 3 o'clock if you're in the east, just in case you don't know. Um, and, and in four hours, you should be able to log in and get yourself uh, the vote. But it's a pretty big vote. So we're going to be voting today on the two bylaw amendments um, that have been discussed and the three resolutions that you um, requested a record vote for. So you need to vote all those, and they're all listed on your ballot, and you'll be able to vote for each one. Keep track of how you voted that and send that information ever how your delegates for your states and special interest affiliates have told you. And I've seen some really nice, elaborate processes that uh, some affiliates have put together to make this easy for you. So maybe next year, uh, I know who might be able to give some training. Um, but, uh, but anyway, basically, um, you want to get that information to them. I would get it done right away because even though they're not going to be actually reporting until in the morning, uh, you don't want to have to make them take off their shoes and keep counting those votes um, all at the last minute. So please go ahead and get your vote in this afternoon. Go ahead and vote to your uh, affiliates, ever how many you need to vote to. And then we will be having that roll call vote tomorrow morning, right about now. So uh, you want to be here and ready for that. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn our uh, festivities over to our presiding officer for today. We usually work through the uh, officers to uh, be the presiding officer, but we hardly ever get to our past president because usually we have a whole complement of first and second and all that, vice presidents and, and secretaries and treasurers and things. But this year, we actually um, have a, a space in there from having no second vice president this last few months. So I invited Kim Charlson, our immediate past president, to be our facilitator today. And she's going to be facilitating an interesting panel and, and something that's really fitting for her to also facilitate the ADP Awards so, um, and, and our special presentation from Be My Eyes. So she's going to be really busy. And I hope you all enjoy your program this morning. 
Thank you, Deb. And, and I do have to say that I was not expecting um, to be here. Um, I was expecting, well, I was expecting to be here, but not at the podium, perhaps. I, uh, you know, we all had a few changes, and what's the core value we have here at ACB? Flexibility. So I was getting myself a few months ago all geared up to rotate off the board because I wouldn't be immediate past president anymore. That was going to be a guy named Dan Spoon back in January and February. And so I was, you know, getting ready to say goodbye to the board. And then things changed. And suddenly people were saying, well, Dan isn't going to be past president and executive director. And we said, that's absolutely correct. You are so right. Um, and we said, well, I guess maybe we'll keep Kim around a little longer. So... Here I am, much to the chagrin of some of you, perhaps, but I am still here, so, and very happy to be here. So, Clark is all good? So, all right, so um, the first panel we have this morning um, is for information on um, increasing access for professionals who are blind with low vision services. And this is a conversation that Clark Rockfall will be moderating today about service providers, professionals in the field, and consumer stakeholders on evolving the landscape of vision rehabilitation services. So there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. And Clark has pulled together a very qualified group of people to talk us through some of these nuances of, of this subject. So it's my pleasure to turn the mic over to Clark Rockfall, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs at ACB. It is on now. There we go. All right. Good morning, ACV. Good morning. <laughs> you know, so when uh, planning the convention and talking with our, our president, Deb Cook-Lewis, she's like, you know, Clark, I don't, I don't think moderating a panel with ACB members and guide dog handlers with Uber is going to be enough of a challenge for you. So... <laughs> So you know this thing out there about uh, vision rehabilitation and certifications? Why don't you take that one as well? 
So, so that's where we are here this morning. And I, I'm very happy that we have some guests here in person as well as with us on Zoom. Um, so our panelists today include the, the board chair for the Academy of Certification for ACV, uh, Academy of Certification for Vision, Rehabilitation and Education Programs, ACVREP. That's just the beginning of the alphabet soup here, folks. Uh, and that is, that is Jamie Dean joining us virtually on Zoom. We also have the Executive Director of the, the Association for Education and Rehabilitation for the Blind and Visually Impaired, and that is Lee Sonnenberg from AER, who is here with us in person at his first ACB convention. Also joining us virtually on Zoom is Lauren Branch, CEO of New View Oklahoma, uh, a private nonprofit that provides employment and rehabilitation services. And also here in person, we have Lori Scharf at, <laughs> with, a, with education in, uh, as a vision rehabilitation therapist. And last but not least, the president of our special interest affiliate, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, Doug Powell. So to, to kick things off, um, I'd, I'd first like to recognize Jamie Dean to provide some, some background on ACVREP, but also to provide some background on a, a topic that we've all been hearing a lot about, which is a, a vision certification for occupational therapists. Um, and then following Jamie, I, I would like to recognize Lee Sonnenberg because the board of directors for AER passed a resolution, uh, I think it's fair to say, expressing some concerns about the, the certification and the, and the process. Um, so I'd like to recognize Jamie Dean first, followed by Lee, and then we'll have the conversation flow from there. Uh, once we have opening remarks from our five panelists, um, I will direct some cross-questions and see if our panelists have questions of one another. And then at the end, we will also open it up to audience Q&A for all of you here in the room, as well as the folks on Zoom and alternating back and forth. Sound good, folks? All right, let's do it. Well, Jamie Dean, good morning. How are you? Good. Welcome, or uh, thank you for having me, and greetings from North Carolina. Great. Thank you so much, Jamie. So, Jamie, why don't you give some folks some background on ACVREP and what ACVREP is hoping to accomplish um, with the, the current pursuit of a uh, vision accreditation for occupational therapists? Sure thing, Clark. And uh, I, I want to point out, I noticed that nobody cheered when you introduced me, Clark. So uh, I think I'm working from a disadvantage here today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start out with an anecdote that many of you will be familiar with. So I am now 41, which is a little disappointing for me. Um, I guess I'm happy to be here, but shocked that I've reached you know this ripe old age. 
And after years of being a competitive rower, one of the things I've earned at the age of 41 is a pretty crummy back. And this past year, I was experiencing some back issues. So I went to the chiropractor to see if I could get some help. And the chiropractor had no idea what to do with me as a blind person. So he was really surprised, first of all, that I had a job, which was interesting. And he was very surprised at my activity level, that I like to do things like run and hike and all of this fun outdoor pursuits. And so how could I possibly feel confident that I was getting competent care from someone who didn't understand anything about vision loss or anything about uh, what a person with vision loss might actually be doing in their life. I really couldn't. And thus I am not working with that chiropractor any longer, but unfortunately that's a really sad uh, reality for many blind and low vision people is that when we encounter the medical system, we encounter people who aren't actually qualified to understand the complexity of our medical needs as they may intersect with our vision loss. So what ACV REP does generally is we have a mission to ensure that people who are blind or who have low vision, like me and like uh, half of the members of our board, we are on a mission to ensure that all of us receive low vision services from qualified professionals. Now, the way that we go about doing that is using the tool of certification. And what certification is, is uh, an objective exam, scope of criteria, and uh, our scope of practice and criteria for various fields of practice that will demonstrate that a professional is competent to practice within that field. So you have a, what I'm going to call a scope of practice and competence piece, but there's also an ethics piece. And by being certified, you are subject to a code of practice and potentially to discipline from ACV REP if you violate that code of ethics. So this past few years, one of the things that we've been looking at is certifying occupational therapists who work with people who are low vision. And let me just give you a couple of the reasons why the board felt like that was an important step for us to take. So the first reason is that there's a tremendous need for more people to provide services to the blind and visually impaired. There's other people on this panel who can speak uh, more in depth to that need, but I think it's fair to say no one will disagree with me that there's a tremendous shortage of qualified professionals to provide services. The second reason is that occupational therapists are already part of the medical model. They're like my chiropractor. They're already providing services and they're already encountering people who are blind or people who are low vision. And as part of their work as occupational therapists, they're being asked to help people who are blind or who have low vision uh, with figuring out how they can perform their jobs or figuring out how they can perform specific tasks that are important to their daily life. So they are already providing services. And yet without an objective exam-based certification that demonstrates that they're competent to do it. And then the third reason that this is important to the board is that our mission is not just to have qualified professionals in the United States. Our mission is for blind people around the world to receive services from competent professionals. And internationally, occupational therapists are more frequently hired and more frequently used to provide 
Vision Rehabilitation Services. So that was the sort of why a certification for OTs. But I know there's a lot of questions in the community of like, uh, well, do OTs want this? You know, is this actually an important thing for OTs themselves? It may be nice in theory, but is there really a need from the professional side? And that was also part of the due diligence that we did after determining that we thought that there was a, an opportunity here to provide more qualified professionals and to uh, improve the skills of people who are already providing services. We also talked to the OT community about certification. And so we conducted a broad survey uh, in partnership with the University of Alabama at Birmingham of occupational therapists. And we asked them, is this something that you'd be interested in? And the overwhelming response was yes. And then the other thing, the final thing that we took into consideration is that there had been in the past a certification for occupational therapists um, that was offered by another certifying body. And that certifying body, for a lot of reasons, not related to the subject matter of the certification itself, decided to put a pause on continuing to certify occupational therapists. So there was also a vacuum where there had previously been a way for occupational therapists who wanted to demonstrate their competency to support people who are blind and low vision. That, uh, um, that certification was discontinued. And so there was a need for another body to step in and provide a certification again, so that we had a way of demonstrating occupational therapists had the core competencies. Um, I'll say very briefly that the way we've gone about doing uh, the certification. So right now we're very early in, uh, in the certification process, but the way that we've gone about creating the certification is exactly the same as the way that ACV or EP has gone about creating all of the other certifications, like those for folks who teach uh, assistive technology or those who teach orientation and mobility. Happy to talk more about that process as the panel continues, but we're not doing anything different with respect to that process. Um, so in short, just to sum up, we are adding an OT certification to fill a vacuum, both in service providers and also in um, objective certifications to demonstrate competency. We think that this is a way to both improve the skills of people who are already providing services, as well as bring new service providers into the field. And uh, I know that this, this will be a robust conversation, so I am uh, excited to be here. appreciate the invitation and look forward to sharing with the other panelists. Thank you, Jamie. Oh, look at that. And it, it, Jamie, there's your round of applause. I got some cheers. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I had to pander pretty hard to get those. So I appreciate them. Well, when, when you come to your first in-person ACB convention, we'll be sure that there's a, a standing ovation. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and now I'd like to turn the microphone over to Lee Sonnenberg from AER uh, to share his perspective on this issue or the organizations, I should say. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Clark. Uh, yes, we executive directors serve on the uh, not whim, but at our board's behest. Um, my name is Lee Sonnenberg. I am the executive director for AER. As Clark said, um, the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. Um, I've been at AER for a little over a year, but I have had a life experience of living with someone who is uh, visually impaired. My youngest daughter, who has just turned 20, um, is visually impaired and 
just completed her second year of college at Texas Tech University and is an art education major. Um, our journey in the visual impairment world began many years ago, like I said. Um, I've been involved in advocacy in Texas for the, probably the past 15 years. I currently serve as board president of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. So um, I, I've lived uh, the life of a parent, um, making sure that my kid had all the services that she needed. Um, I agree with um, Jamie's statement earlier of the, li of the shortage of providers. Um, that we are experiencing currently. Um, AER's concern regarding the whole certification process was just the lack of transparency and um, our membership felt a lack of input from them regarding the process. Um, conversations began last summer at our um, conference in St. Louis where um, it had been Members had heard about this certification that was being um, con considered, and um, it was all coming through the grapevine, and everyone was very concerned about the process, and um, our VRTs were concerned is that is this going to affect our ability to get jobs, and no one's listening to our input. And so there was a concern, there was fear, um, and just a lot of questions, and those questions continued to be raised to our board, and throughout the fall and over the, the winter season. And um, this past spring, it, the membership's concerns really grew to a crescendo to where the board felt it was necessary to respond and, and to make a statement regarding um, the certification process that ACVREP had uh, commenced and the, just the lack of input that the professionals who are already providing those services um, and, and that includes OTs who went forward and re, um, earned VRT certification. They were just concerned of that, just lack of transparency and lack of input. And so the board put forth the resolution. Um, it's not an anti-OT resolution. It's very much a, we all need to be coming to the table to work together to solve this problem. And we need to look at all the solutions, all the possible solutions to increase our personnel that are providing services to all individuals, not only adults, but students who are blind and low vision. And um, that has just been the concern of the board, that there be more transparency, more interaction, and more participation of, of the community in this process. It's not just going to be a one-size-fits-all. Um, AER just wrapped up our strategic planning process and personnel shortage addressing that is one of our big pushes over the next few years but this is going to have to be a community-wide um, action everyone sitting at the table and helping um, formulate those ideas and working together to expand the number of professionals that are providing services and so, again, that was the, the justification for the board resolution, is we need transparency. We all need to be working on this together, and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. Um, we've got to find something that works, but we all need to be there together making that discussion. Thank you, Lee. And the, the ACB member body uh, voted and adopted a, a similar 
resolution on Monday, July 3rd, uh, it basically echoing nothing about us without us, uh, that people from the community need to be involved in, in the process. And at this point, I'd like to turn it to one of the, the primary authors of that resolution, Lori Scharf, uh, and also a vision rehabilitation therapist. Oh, there we go. I need vision rehab to learn to work a mic. Um, (laughs) Doug says by qualified person. Um, So, yes, thank you for having me, Clark. And I would um, just like to make a few additional comments to what has already been said. Um, As Lee has already stated, several occupational therapists have gone on and received masters in vision rehabilitation teaching and orientation and mobility because of their understanding of their lack of body of knowledge related to blindness and visual impairment. And it's important for us as consumers to understand that same medical professional that Jamie spoke of at the beginning is similar to the, what you would receive by an occupational therapist with limited training, only in low vision, for example, or excluding certain areas of blindness rehabilitation. To fully understand what the capabilities of a person who is blind or low vision, specifically those with additional disabilities, deaf blindness, senior citizens with, you know, degenerative disc disease that may impact their ability to move and, you know, function in the kitchen, for example. You really need to understand the whole person. You also need to understand that you can train in low vision, but depending on someone's environment is going to depend on if they function as a person with low vision or no vision. So you really can't teach somebody a limited scope of service and expect that they provide top quality service. In addition, ACVREP states that there are under 600 professionals credentialed I will tell you that lots of vision rehabilitation therapists do not certify because the Rehabilitation Services Administration does not require it, and many states do not require it. So don't let that figure fool you. Yes, I acknowledge there's a shortage, and yes, I believe the shortage needs to be dealt with, but there are programs similar to the one that's being done in New York with Empire College, where people are receiving bachelor's level training in blindness skills and then going on to get additional credits on the master's level if they choose to, to provide services. And those bachelor's level students are learning braille, are learning low vision and non-visual techniques of rehabilitation. So I think 
we need to look at a continuum of options. Thank you. All right, thank you so much, Lori. And at this time, uh, I'd like to invite Lauren Branch. Uh, as, as the CEO of an organization serving people who are blind, Lauren, I think you can offer a unique perspective from the service provider lens and from somebody seeking to employ um, occupational therapists, um, vision rehab therapists, and so on, so that you can serve your community and people who are blind and low vision. Thank you, Clark. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning. So, um, yes, I'm speaking on behalf of an agency um, who provides both employment and comprehensive rehabilitation services for people who are blind here in our community in Oklahoma. Um, our agency started our rehab program, I don't even know how many years ago. It, it's It's been a, probably a little over 15 years ago. You know, when I started here at Newview, we did not provide rehabilitation um, services. We were just doing in, in it. We were just doing employment and we really saw the need in our community to be able to provide services here in our state because there were so many individuals who um, who were blind and visually impaired who were not receiving uh, were not receiving services. And so, you know, we went about trying to stand up a um, vision rehabilitation program utilizing the the traditional pathways in particular um, you know I I had hired uh, an individual who was a, a certified orientation and mobility instructor she'd been in the field for a long time to work with me to stand up the program and we tried desperately to hire a VRT here in uh, in Oklahoma and we had our job posted for over a year I believe and unfortunately we were not able to attract any certified professionals to relocate to come to Oklahoma to work for Newview to help us stand up the program and so we really entered this crossroads where we said, you know, we're either going to not provide services or we've got to figure out a different way to do that. And, you know, Oklahoma is a pretty rural state. You know, um, our main office is in our uh, largest city here, here in Oklahoma City. We only have two primary, you know, population centers here. And so a lot of the individuals that we serve are not either in Oklahoma City or in Tulsa, but they're in our rural communities. You know, when when we talked about not providing services as opposed to providing services, I mean, you know, we took the not providing services off the table because the need was so great. So we had to figure out a different way to do it. At the time, some of you may remember uh, Lighthouse International, which is now Lighthouse Guild, had a... Um, had a beta program to train individuals, in particular certified occupational therapy assistants and then subsequently occupational therapists in 
um, in blindness and low vision. And so um, about 15 years ago, we partnered with them to bring on our first CODA and occupational therapist, but, but we wanted to make sure that our professionals were adequately trained and competent to provide services for individuals who are blind. And so the, the first two professionals that we hired actually trained for about a year in, in that program. And over the years, we've been able to expand services here in Oklahoma because of our ability to hire and train both OTs and CODAs in our community. I will tell you that the lack of personnel and lack of VRTs in our community has not changed over the last 15 years. It's still very, very, very hard to find trained professionals here in Oklahoma. You know, part of the reason for that is that there are no degree programs in the state of Oklahoma that graduate professionals in this field. And so, you know, we've been very proud of the fact that we've put together a multidisciplinary team that includes occupational therapists, um, certified occupational therapy assistants. Those individuals are also duly certified as CLVTs and are ACVREP um, ACVREP certified. We've got certified orientation and mobility specialist, TVIs, um, along with assistive technology professionals as well. I can tell you that we would not have been able to provide the level of service and the number of services that we provide if we had not gone in this direction. And so, you know, our agency fully supports um, you know, all of the pathways to ensure that we have qualified staff um, providing services in this space. We recognize that occupational therapists and CODAs do not get the level of training coming out of school that they need to be able to provide competent services for individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And so, you know, I believe that the um, the certification through ACVREP is going to help us provide assurances in this space that um, that the individuals who are already providing services out there, in particular to our older population who are having um, vision issues, are um, are competent and trained to be able to provide these services. Um, I think we all know that the population of individuals who are blind or visually impaired is growing, in particular in our aging services arena. And we certainly today don't have the number of trained professionals that we need in our field to be able to deliver the services to this growing number of individuals. You know, on a side note, and, and this was mentioned by Jamie, you know, one of the advantages that we've seen in particular as far as having OTs and CODAs is our medical community recognizes um, those individuals in, in the allied health arena and are, are comfortable providing referrals to 
those individuals for services. And once we are able to get the individuals in the door under the referrals from our medical community, then that opens the door for access to all of the services, assistive technology, orientation and mobility. Um, I can tell you that it was a struggle, you know, to connect the medical community with with our agency at times because the doctors um, didn't understand the vision rehabilitation field. And what we found in particular with our older individuals who are coming through our clinic for services is their connection point is really through the medical community. It's through the ophthalmology um, professionals who are treating retinal diseases. And so without that connection, we were finding that a number of the individuals who really could benefit and needed the services that our field could provide were never getting to us because they weren't coming through the traditional um, doors through our, um, our state vocational rehabilitation agencies. And so, you know, just to reiterate, there's a huge need for trained professionals. We would love to see the number of VRTs um, grow in our communities. Um, but it, it's, as someone mentioned before, it's not a one size fits all, you know, but I think first and foremost, we need to be committed to having trained professionals providing these services and supporting a certification program is one avenue in which we can get there. Thank you. And, and Lauren, thank you so much. It, obviously, it's, this is the situation in Oklahoma, but Oklahoma is not unique in this regard, right? So there's, there's lots of states out there. There are lots of you in the room here that live in rural areas or areas adjacent to population centers, but may not have uh, ready access to trained professionals and services, similar to as Lauren was describing in Oklahoma outside of Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Uh, Lauren also mentioned the, the growing population of people with vision loss. And yes, that is true. This population is also an aging population of people with vision loss. Um, and that's why I'm very excited to have our colleague and board member, uh, Doug Powell, who is also the president of AAVL. So Doug, I'd like to turn it to you to hear your, your perspective and on this topic. Clark, this is Lori. If I could just say one thing. One thing to consider is that with all of the university programs now doing a hybrid approach, vision rehabilitation therapy and orientation and mobility programs really are available but when you put people in situations where they don't have a local supervisor who can, can supervise them because they don't have a credential, that then presents a problem. Um, so in states where we do have people who have the ability to supervise or when we have people that are able to supervise remotely, we are able to bring people into the profession and keep them in their home communities. Thank you. And I'll pass it to Clark, do you sure. mind if I just if I just make a comment to that? You may, you may make one quick comment, but I would like to let Doug uh, I, say his part before the the cross questioning. But please I go just, ahead, Lauren. 
Yeah, I just want to say that is the issue for us here in Oklahoma in terms of being able to get our OTs and CODIS with a VRT. Um, we could go CLVT because we had someone for them to work under, but we, we've not been able to. And because we don't have a VRT, there's no one for them to work under in our local community to be able to get that, um, those additional hours that they need for the certification. So that, that is a, a problem for us here in Oklahoma as well. Thank you. And I'll turn it to Doug. Thank you, Clark. Um, are you confused yet? Welcome to my world. So I started as president of AAVL last year. Uh, some of you may know that I've been the uh, chair uh, or co-chair of the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force for uh, probably 12 years or so. Um, but I was new to the area of older, uh, you know, older individuals. Um, so, I, you know, so in preparation for this, I, I've been asking a lot of probing questions, which some people may think uh, I, I was the enemy. Uh, hopefully not. I was just trying to figure out uh, what you're going through right now is trying to figure out, you know, uh, well, you know, what, what are all the, <clears throat> excuse me, what are all the issues? And uh, here's what I've decided, that... These, uh, all of these, uh, and you, uh, yeah, so uh, the, what, the, what I've learned is what they've known for a long time. The current system is largely broken. And uh, this, you know, and the OT, VRT issue is just one uh, of many that we're going to have to confront that are all intersecting. So there, nobody's mentioned the different, uh, differential between how uh, occupational therapists get paid versus how um, VRTs get paid. So, you know, I mean, there's tons of issues that haven't even come y up yet. And I've been interested that, you know, everybody's been fairly civilized so far. But you know what? There is a lot of passion on everybody's side, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of the, these issues. Um, and everybody wants to do well for blind and visually impaired individuals. Uh, this is what I found out. So what we need to do then, um, so, so AAVL believes in four basic premises. The first one is the recognition is that 95% of people eligible for vision rehabilitation services in this country are not being served. 95%. That cannot stand. Two, older people in, this, in, in our communities, in our, in our country and around the world have been contributing members of society and with rehabilitation services ought to be able to continue to be a, a contributing members of their communities. Three, people who are uh, blind or have low vision uh, deserve to have people working with them who are fully qualified and can provide excellent services. And four, I, I don't think I'm going beyond uh, what, what people would say is true to say that 
certified vision rehabilitation ser uh, therapists in this country are under-recognized and deserve access to all areas where they can provide services to blind and visually impaired people. So though, given those four basic premises and given the number of, well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create an analogy here. Uh, uh, I play Sudoku puzzles. You know, blindfold Sudoku is great. So I play it all the time. Um, and what Sudoku is, is uh, a grid of nine rows and nine columns, and you can divide those uh, 81 squares into uh, nine three-by-three three, uh, blocks. So, and you're given, at the beginning of the puzzle, you're, you're given several blocks that are already filled in. And from those, using logic, you have to fill in the rest of the blocks on the whole grid. It's fun and it's challenging. It keeps your brain young. <laughs> um, and and I, don't, I don't diminish anybody by saying that I think that the VRT OT certification issue is just one block in that 81, you know, 81 square grid. Um, and all of the issues are just as important as this. And it, we're not going to... We're not going to solve the problems that we're confronting in this arena just by working out whether we certify OTs in 17 areas or 10 areas or whatever. So uh, what's the other analogy I'm going to draw, you know, go further on the analogy and say, you know, when I've filled in a square incorrectly and I've gone down, you know, further on, you know, I've used logic to try to fill in more squares based on my mistake... Guess what? It ain't going to work. <laughs> I'm not going to come up with the solution. So what I want, so I think uh, it's that's similar to where we are in the uh, whole uh, working with older people and you know non-vocational people and vocational people for that for for that matter um, in giving them uh, vision and rehab services. Uh, we need to. Go back. So what I do is I erase the whole thing and I start over from the very beginning. And I think that's what, really what we need to do here. Um, so so all stakeholders, and I mean all, I mean, I, you know, I don't think we've even thought of how many stakeholders we need to, um, you know, to be involved in this decision. In, you know, in this rebuilding effort. Um, uh, to get together, and I don't know if you were here yesterday um, uh, when uh, Eric Bridges was speaking uh, about, um, you know, about his role in AFB. Uh, and uh, if you remember one of the questions, Anicio Correa, who happens to be the AAVL vice president, who also has a lot of uh, job experience in running... Um, uh, nonprofit uh, uh, agencies uh, working with these issues, uh, they started talking about a summit that might, you know, that, that bringing people together to actually talk and hammer out some kind of a, a result that hopefully will be, you know, beneficial for everybody. So some of those stakeholders that I think ought to be there are uh, Medicaid and Medicare and, and uh, private insurances. Legislators. 
certainly certification entities, you know, people who, uh, who are accrediting, and also the prof professional, uh, professional people, you know, the prof professional organizations like AER. Um, oh, and also, yeah, preparation. So, you know, there are lots of uh, colleges and universities who do not have programs. You really have to look hard to find programs to be, become, uh, you know, a, a vision rehabilitation therapist. So we need, obviously, more preparation programs, and we need input from those people on how to fix the problem. Rehab uh, agency administrators. And I, I think I said professional organization representatives like us and like AER, you know, and, and other folks like NFB. State and political, uh, political re representatives. So it, it seems to me, the, for example... The um, OAA, the uh, um, hmm? no, the uh, the older oh, older Americans Act is coming up for reauthorization in September, and um, so you know, there's going to be some political things. You know, we're, we're probably going to have to make some legislative changes so that you know, so that for example, so that the pay may be. Uh, you know, or the recognition may be, uh, you know, uh, may be uh, um, expanded to include uh, VRTs. And um, obviously citizen representatives, uh, you, know, uh, in, you know, in our communities. And there's probably lots of other stakeholders that I've forgotten. So, but that's a, that's a starting list to who probably ought to be at the table to try to come up with some kind of a solution that uh, works for everybody. And uh, in, in, uh, in summary, as so the sooner we get started with these, uh, obviously the, uh, the sooner we can start um, trying to uh, provide services, meaningful services, to those 95% of people who are, are sitting home isolated and, you know, uh, uh, feeling incompetent, feeling un, you know not confident, and not able to uh, lead their most independent, fulfilling lives. Great, thank you, Doug, um, and thank you to all of our our panelists here today. And as as Doug underscored, there's there's a lot of members of our community who are going unserved and unserved by trained professionals. Uh, I'm cognizant of the, the time. We, we have plenty of time, but I, I don't want to take it all up. So I'm just going to ask one question of our panelists. I'll start with Jamie Dean and Lauren Branch, um, but then absolutely open to hearing from our other three panelists on this question as well. And then I'd like to give each panelist an opportunity to ask one question of, uh, of their peers or a peer on the panel to keep the conversation flowing. Um, so we hear about the number of people who are going unserved. We hear about the shortage of trained professionals uh, and specifically vision rehabilitation therapists. But even a trained occupational therapist is still not a VRT, is not a vision rehabilitation therapist. A, a vision-trained occupational therapist is still not a certified 
orientation and mobility instructor. Um, so, again, starting starting with Jamie and then Lauren, how will this vision certification help increase the number of trained professionals in the categories where everyone can agree that the number of trained professionals is lacking? Thanks, Clark. So. I think where I'd start is to say we need to be careful when we think about the certification um, and think about what it is and what it isn't. You know, what, what it is, I really like Doug's analogy, is it's one square of a Sudoku puzzle. It's not the solution to the entire Sudoku puzzle. Um, and, you know, I'm speaking as the chair of ACVREP. We believe very strongly in all of our certifications and all of the professionals we certify. And we think they all provide a vital role throughout the ecosystem of service providers. So certainly uh, I wouldn't say that this is now an alternative to all other types of service providers or some type of super provider. If you look at the scope of practice, so the other area we need to be careful is the scope of practice for the certification has not yet been created. So it is, it is being created right now. And then a draft of the scope of practice, uh, so what these certificates will actually be qualified or examined on, um, a draft of that will be released to the public for comment. And we would love to receive robust comments from everyone in the community about that so that we can get that scope of practice right. So I can't answer this question with complete precision because we're at a very nascent stage in the certification. But what I can say is if you look at the scopes of practice for all of our various certificates, one thing that stands out really starkly is that none of them operate in silos. You know, a, a CLVT or a CRVT, I love the alphabet soup and I'm sorry for it, um, you know, these are certificates who, uh, who, well, we'll look at CRVT. A CRVT does a lot of things that look like what an occupational therapist does. They look at the environment that the person lives in, their skill set, their needs, what they want to accomplish, and they help them accomplish that uh, by using assistive technology. But we also have certificates, for example, who train in assistive technology specifically. A CVRT might also help with basic mobility, not cane travel, but some basic mobility. But we also certify people who do certified orientation and mobility specialists. So a CVRT has a really broad role. It does a lot more than what I just mentioned, but they're part of a, a collaborative team or a set of disciplines that have a lot of overlap. And so one thing I would say about this OC, OT certification is I've heard uh, critiques that people feel like it is sort of overlapping with other things we do that that might be true, but all of our certifications overlap and also offer something special. So I think what the OT offers that special is an occupational therapist approach to problem solving, which is a task-based approach and a vocational-based approach. Um, that's the nature of their training. And so I think that's a unique perspective on problem solving that they will bring. I think they also bring access because they are part of this medical model. Um, and so they bring access to professionals who might otherwise never encounter a service provider. Um, and then I, I, I think the other thing to keep our mind, uh, keep in mind is that we, we don't expect an OT to do everything. So there will be some overlap, but it's not a complete overlap. We won't expect the certificates to teach children. We won't ex expect them to teach cane travel. We won't expect them to teach braille literacy. So there's still going to be a need for our other certificates, but this is one piece of a very complex puzzle. And um, 
you know, I, I guess I'll save my question, but I, I, I will, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to throw a question in right now, Clark, and just say like, you know, what are other solutions that, that people see to solving the problem? ACVREP is doing something. We're taking action. It's not the only thing that we're doing, but this is one solution. And I feel like it's very easy to critique an idea when it's put forward. You know, the first person to stick their head up out of a foxhole uh, gets shot at. And so we've taken on the role of sticking our head out of the foxhole. But, you know, I think we need to be careful as a community of nonprofits, service providers, and organizations to make sure that we're critiquing and collaborating in a way that's actually effective, positive, and driving towards a solution rather than just taking shots about everything that we see that could potentially go wrong with something or could potentially um, be problem- problematic about it. Because at the end of the day, we need solutions. Everyone on this panel desperately agrees that we need solutions. And this is one that's been put on the table. Um, so I, I think we invite feedback on it. We have had uh, you know feedback already and have more feedback opportunities coming up. But I really think that that feedback the extent it can be focused on something productive rather than just attacking what people fear or what people don't understand or what people are unsure of, it's better for all of us. All right. Thank you, Jamie. And then Lauren, you touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but I'd still like to, to hear from you again or have you elaborate on how, uh, now thinking and reframing my original question, um, with still having a shortage of trained professionals, how does having uh, occupational therapists or certified occupational therapists in a, you know, a vision accreditation, how does that help you in the other areas where you still lack trained professionals? You, uh, I believe you stated that you're still struggling to get uh, vision rehabilitation therapists there in Oklahoma. So, I, I, I mean, I think that, you know, I appreciate what Jamie said. I mean, you know, we, I don't know if we're ever, I mean, I, I hope we do, you know, eventually are able to get a, you know, a VRT here in Oklahoma. But, you know, the the challenge for us is that the option to not provide services it's just not on the table. I mean, there are so many people, as the other panelists have mentioned, that are not getting services. I mean, we should be, uh, you know, we as a field, I agree, should be trying to find solutions to get to those 95% who aren't receiving services. And so, you know, our position is, is you know what, if 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 this is the way that, you know, if this is where we can build capacity, in our field, then we need to ensure that these professionals are adequately trained. The last thing that we want are people out there trying to provide services and address issues in this realm, and they're just not qualified to, they're just not qualified to do it. And so, you know, our team works, our OTs and CODAs work on a multidisciplinary team. I mean, they work in conjunction with one another, they solve problems with one another. They're solving problems with O&Ms, making referrals over to O&Ms, you know, working in conjunction with, um, with our assistive technology 
professionals with our uh, with our TVIs. And and by the way, I will say that our codas um, re- we require our codas to be trained in Braille. So you know, I know one of the issues around you know VRTs is that you know there um, is is the Braille training. We require that here at Newview because we understand that that's a, a critical component that needs to be evaluated and available to the people that we're serving. I will tell you though that when we start talking about the population of older individuals with vision impairments, still the vast majority of them are really um, operate more in the low vision realm than they do in the in the um, in the totally blindness realm. And so, um, you know, and the OTs are are trained. I mean, you know, when we talk about critical problem solving, we talk about, you know, um, problem solving in the areas of activities of daily living. What we found is in a lot of instances that, that the OTs recognize issues, too, that are outside, especially with our older individuals that are outside of the realm of what um, of what VRTs do. And, uh, you know, so we're we're supportive of providing access for everyone and ensuring that um, that competent that there are competencies that um, that these professionals have in this arena, rather than you know relying on. Because if we think that these services aren't being provided by OTs who are not trained, then we're fooling ourselves because they they are being. Um, put in contact with and providing services to individuals who are blind or visually impaired and, and they're doing it without adequate training. And so, you know, I think that we're supportive of a multi-pronged approach, interdisciplinary approach. You know, we want our teams working together and learning from one another. And, um, you know, as people have mentioned, I mean, this is only one one little block in the solution, you know, but I think that we need to have all options on the table and we need to be driving towards, you know, solution based um, programs and opportunities. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about that, but, um, but that's the direction that we've taken and it's been very successful. Great. Thank you, Lauren. And I'll, I'll quickly turn it to Lee Sonnenberg to see if he has any comments on uh, what's, what's been shared thus far. Thank you. Um, I, I really am in agreement with uh, Doug's visual of the Sudoku, Sudoku um, puzzle because it really there are a lot of different blocks to provide those services and to solve um, just to address the, the various issues. Um, I'm, I'll go back to that piece that it really has to be a collaborative effort um, in solving this the, 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 and addressing the problems that are out there. Um, one group or one body can't just uh, decide this is what we're going to do. Um, that doesn't work. We need consensus. Um, I feel very strongly that you know we should have multiple folks at the table as we're making these decisions and these plans that affect a very growing population. Um, the 95% 
is even more positive than the number I've heard. I've heard that only 3% of our folks are receiving services. And, um, you know, how many of those are in facilities that with some basic training could be leaving independently? Um, but it's a, it's a big group project, which I think, it, to me, it's the consensus. We all need to be at the table working together. Thank you. And uh, Lori or Doug, anything you'd like to add at this point? This is Lori. So if I could just add that, um, Doug's laughing, um, that if um, agencies and states are committed to hiring vision rehabilitation therapists, they hire them as an intern and maintain them as an employee. Several of my classmates either moved from where they were living or took internships in other states that were paid so that they could still afford to live because the agencies they were working, for, working with are committed to the field of blindness and low vision. And, you know, as a result of that, we all got good educations because we worked with agencies who were able to show us the way. So all of the university programs have room for more professionals, but we, the professionals, need the commitment by the employers. And in talking with the person who is the division chair for AER, um, Vision Rehab Therapy Division, his quote is that when an agency pays well, they have the ability to hire people. Thank you. Okay. Um, so at this point, Lori, since you have the microphone, is there a question that you would like to ask uh, your fellow panelists? Um, I would like to ask if ACVREP has ever counted the amount of vision rehabilitation therapy uh, candidates for their exam who may have taken the exam but never passed and never came back to take the exam because it was too expensive. <laughs> it's a good question, Lori. I'm not asking that to be, you know, obnoxious. The exam is $700 plus an administrative fee. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Lori. Obviously, I could not answer a question with that kind of precision in a in a context like this. So uh, you kind of asked me a question that you knew there was not a possibility that I could answer, and, and I can't answer it. If your question, if the, if the critique is that the certification process is expensive... Uh, I would point out that we do offer scholarships to folks. We do have opportunities to take uh, beta exams when they're available. That's less expensive. Um, I know that there's lots of financial support in various university programs. And, you know, I'm also a, a professional in a certified way, a licensed profession, and it's, it is expensive. I, I agree with that. But ACVREP is not a for-profit entity. We have one full, two full-time employees, a president and an administrative assistant. We are not uh, paying her an exorbitant salary by any stretch. Our board members are all volunteer. And so, you know, we don't set fees because we're trying to drive revenue. We set fees because we're trying to remain a viable institution that can continue certifying people uh, to continue providing services to the community who needs them. 
And if there is a way to do that for free, we would love to do that. But that's not a that's not a, re- a realistic possibility. Clark, this is Doug. Yes, Doug. So I'm sitting next to Kim Charlson, who has been working with ACVREP for a couple of years now on certification of audio description uh, purveyors. And uh, I think it's, I mean, I'm going I'm to side with ACVREP on this one. They have put out a lot of money to uh, put this certification, to get, all of their certifications together on a nonprofit basis. And then RSA says, well, you don't have to have the actual certification to uh, provide services. You just need to have taken the courses. And uh, that leaves ACVREP kind of out, you know, out the money that they, in, you know, they, that they used for developing. And then, you know, so they, they can't continue to provide uh, the services that, that we hope that they will provide in terms of certification standards if they can't, you know, if they're not getting money back. So that uh, another block in our Sudoku puzzle is, you know, how do we uh, make sure that ACVREP is uh, getting the money that they need to, you know, to continue to provide their services as well as not, you know, not putting the burden maybe on the applicants for the certification. So, again, there's another area of discussion for this, uh, uh, for this summit that, that I would like to see us put together. And, Clark, this is Jamie. If I could jump in. One other thing sure. that's a piece that Doug, you raised earlier that, that kind of shows the scope of what ACVREP is also thinking about is we're trying to support all of our certifications. And, Doug, you raised the concept of uh, Medicare reimbursability or who's paying for services. This is a huge problem. I think that if all of our certificates were, med- were reimbursable um, through Medicare, there would be very little concern over this new certification. And what I would say is that we don't, we're not ignoring that issue. Uh, I think folks at ACB should know this. Lee should know this from AER, but the Vision Serve Alliance is undertaking a, an effort to, to, under this administration to see if we can change the reimbursability rules with Medicare. And they've asked all of our organizations for money and I know that my organization, as of our, our board meeting last week, has committed money. And as I said, we're not a huge organization. So they've asked for a total of, they're trying to raise a total, I think, of $50,000. And we've committed to contribute fifteen. dollars So I, I think we are putting our money where our mouth is and supporting our folks. And it's an opportunity for AR, ACB, all the others who have invested interest in increasing services to put their money where their, where their mouth is as well and for us to really collaborate on something that will benefit, have a huge benefit uh, and increase the attractiveness of coming into this field, not just the attractiveness of certification, but the attractiveness of working in these rehab professions. Thank you. And it, at this point, uh, Lee, is there a question that you would like to ask your fellow panelists? Sure. Great. Well, and to follow up what Jamie um, just said about the Vision Serve Alliance project, um, that item will be on uh, the July board agenda for AER's board of directors, where I will be asking them to also join in this uh, program and provide funding. not sure AER will be able to provide the level that ACVREP is providing, but we are participating and, um, as Jamie said, putting our money where our mouth is because it is very important that that 
again, that one more block in the puzzle is addressed. Um, and Jamie, this question is, is for you, um, just regards to the certification process. Um, earlier this spring, we did have a, have a kind of a town hall meeting with AER members regarding concerns raised about the certification process. Can you tell me if um, ACVREP has uh, pr- had any actions moving forward in response to some of the concerns that uh, AER membership raised? Yes. Um, thanks, thanks for that question, Lee. It almost feels like a planted question because it really allows me to raise a point I wanted to. So thank you. Um, so I, I want to say that this is delicate because I, I work in the accessibility field. I strongly believe in the concept of nothing about us without us. Um, and our, our board at ACVREP is actually created by bylaws on that concept. We have to have a certain number of people who are blind, a certain number of people who are certificates, you know, a certain number of people who are medical providers. And we, we, we tick all of those boxes. So we have uh, five blind people out of 11 who are uh, on our board. We have CVRTs, we have comms, we have CADIS. So there is a lot of brain trust on the board itself. But the board also, when it's making its decisions, you're, you're balancing doing your due diligence and exploring the opportunity uh, with your fiduciary responsibility of saying, we also have to do, um, we, we have to, to do what is in line with ACV REP's mission. So the way that in the past we have solicited broader feedback is after the board stage. So after the board has said, yes, let's go forward and look at doing the certification, we've done a public comment period. Um, once there's a scope of practice that people can read and understand and, and then give us uh, a more fulsome critique of. What we've done in, in the case of this certification because of the response from the community is the first thing we did was a listening session um, with around 120-ish people. Um, and I think we've realized in retrospect, we should have been even broader. You know, so we, we should have reached out to ACB, NFB, and others and just advertised that that was happening. And we had published statements on our website about the certification, but I just don't think People are coming to read the ACVREP website on a daily basis. So we need to think about our own communication channels. The other thing that we're doing, and I do hope to have more listening sessions, but the other thing that the board has just approved is having an advisory committee to the subject matter expert committee who's developing the scope of practice. And that advisory committee is going to have representatives from other certifications. It's going to have representatives um, from service providers and, and we hope and are inviting um, one of the members of that committee to also represent ACB. So, uh, you know, I think that the times are changing uh, in the way that maybe we need to think about how we do our process to ensure the broadest possible collaboration. And the feedback has been helpful and we're, we're doing our best to broaden, um, broaden the feedback that we receive. Thank you. And... Lauren Branch, is, is there a question that you would like to ask of your fellow panelists or any additional comments? Yeah, um, I, I, just have a, I just have a couple of comments, and it's related to the, the comments others have made about this VSA project. So if, if you don't know, I'm also the current chairperson of Vision Serve Alliance, and, and this reimbursement issue is very near and, and dear to my heart. And so, you know, I think one of the challenges that other people have e- expressed in terms of recruiting people to the field is around the pay disparities between um, some of the professionals and, and how we get reimbursed in this field. And so I think we have a tremendous opportunity and the timing is right 
to be able to um, to try to move this forward and and get all of our professionals in vision rehabilitation um, somehow reimbursed through uh, through our Medicare and Medicaid services. And, um, you know, so we fully support um, the efforts that are going on in that arena and really hope that that you can help support those efforts as well. I do think that um, legislative changes to the Older Americans Act would be helpful. We are working on some pilots here in Oklahoma and have some success that we're hoping to be able to share with some of our colleagues around the country in terms of utilizing um, utilizing the the data that we have and and the information that we know regarding how our services help um, mitigate some of the um, the adverse outcomes that people are having who aren't receiving vision rehabilitation services, particularly in the areas of, you know, um, independent living, being able to stay safe in their homes, um, you know, medication management, um, fall prevention, et cetera. And, you know, in, in taking that information and working with insurance providers rather than on a fee-for-service model, but in some of the alternative payment methods and, um, you know, looking at investment in our services on the front end can help reduce costs on the back end, you know, for, for insurance companies and other providers and, and hoping that we can use that information to get buy-in for some pilot programs that would prove out the value of the services that we're providing in a in a positive way and be able to exhibit return on investment, which then drives their willingness and eagerness to provide reimbursement for the services that, that we're providing. And I think that's a challenge. I mean, you mentioned, um, mentioned, you know, if agencies paid more, you know, they would attract more to the field, um, you know, but as nonprofit agencies, private agencies out here in the field, and I've even seen it with state agencies, is that with low reimbursement rates or no reimbursement for these services, it's very difficult to fundraise into sustainment and growth in these services. And so I think the funding is a, um, is a critical piece of the conversations that we're having and, and I think could drive change within our um, our service providers. Great. Thank you, Lauren. At this point, I'd like to turn to our, our audience members. I know we already have some folks at microphones in the room. So we will take... We, oh, yes. Yes. Waiting patiently, I might add. Um, so we'll, we'll take a couple of questions here from the room. Ms. And, Chair. and then we'll take a couple of questions from Zoom. We this have five in Zoom. Farah. Okay, Marsha Farrell. Uh, I am a certified vision rehabilitation therapist, have been for 20 years, second career for me. I went into the field because of the shortage, and I'm so glad you all are here at the table. I've been losing 20 years of sleep over this. This is not new. This has been going on. It's been ignored. I'm not saying on purpose, but we've been out here, especially in Georgia, beating the bushes, beating our legislators over the head. Money is, is, is a terrible problem. If it wasn't for my state retirement, I would have starved to death already. P- 
people leave the private sector, go to the VA, they can work there, make twice as, three times as much as we make in an agency. And the OTs in Georgia make $80,000 a year. We make about a third of that on a good day, on a good day. Most of us, and this is truly honest, we volunteer a huge amount of our time, all of us. Those who are visually impaired that want to work in the field can't find a driver, transportation, they lose their jobs because visually impaired people can't get around to go to the homes. It's a crisis. And I can't speak for these states who have commissions and other nice things, but in rural states like ours, we have so little that we're sending our people to NFB centers. And that's how they're getting their training. Uh, I know we spent about $20,000 per client to go to Colorado, Louisiana. So we're going out of state to train our people. And I have to say thank you, NFB. Otherwise, they would have nothing. So I could say a lot more, but I will allow others to share their comments. Thank you. Mike Cadino. Michael Byington. I heard Mike Cadino. Thank you, Clark. Um, I, I just want to bring to um, all the affiliates' attentions that we need to work on licensing within our states so that the doctors will begin to recognize VRTs as licensed professionals within our states and make those referrals. They were dancing around the money issue early on in this presentation, and they finally got down to that bottom line at the end of this presentation. We need to make sure that the VRTs are licensed within all of our states so that the VRTs will be receiving uh, referrals from the medical model because they are providing the services that we need and the only way that we can raise the amount of services provided is by raising the need. And when the doctors stop shrugging their shoulders because there are no licensed professionals out there providing the services that they can recognize, we need to make sure that the doctors will make those referrals. So I challenge all the affiliates in the room to get out there and make sure that the BRTs are licensed within their state. New York State has been working on it for 20 years. We'll get it done eventually. Thank you. Michael Byington. Thank you. But we're going to take a pause from in the room. We just had two from in the room, and we're going to ask if there are any hands in Zoom. Yes. The next two are Margie D., followed by Ted Tendon. Good morning, ACB. Good morning. This, is a su- this is a subject near and dear to my heart. 37 years ago, when I completed the program at San Francisco State University, which only held for three years, I chose to do my internship at the Palo Alto VA. I chose it. I was a young parent. They paid for internship, and my internship hours went towards my retirement. My full career was spent with the VA. The VA has figured out ways 
to continuously hire people. Palo Alto Blind Rehab Center at the VA had a huge struggle due to the cost of living. They figured out how to go above the cost of living area adjustment. Until we address the financial issues in this field with non-for-profits, we will continue to have a discrepancy People are going to the VA. They're not going to community agencies. Until we figure how to get reimbursed by insurance companies for non-VA employees, we will continue to have a problem. I will make one last statement. I worked with two OTs in San Francisco as a VIS coordinator. One was at a local hospital who referred all her veterans to me. She knew she could not do the job. We worked with an OT at a state veterans home. When Florida State offered the remote program, sent an instructor out, she got certified. We need our OTs to get certified in vision rehab therapy and O&M and all the areas if they're going to be providing these services. Thank you. And thank you for taking my question. This is Ted. And my question is to Lorna, which is, are there any political considerations other than financial ones for why, um, Licensed VRTs are not coming to the state of Oklahoma. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, what? number one, I think that Oklahoma forever has been viewed as kind of a flyover state and not terribly attractive for individuals to move to. Um, you know, I think, too, uh, you know, there there are people who um may not be interested in coming to Oklahoma because of of some of the um the politics here, you know, regardless of you know where you stand. I mean, there's been some, you know, we all hear on the national news, you know, various sound bites that um that may for some make it unattractive. Um but the but the reality of it is is that a lot of people, you know, who are going through the programs tend to stay close to home and, you know, are not relocating to the more rural areas, you know. And so, um, and, and I think, too, that there's obviously there's such a shortage that there's competition, you know, for those positions and people who come out, as, as a couple of people have alluded to, you know, the, the VA has figured this out. I mean, they understand the value of the services, you know, they they pay the people to provide the services. And so, you know, I, I think that with the competition out there, the, that people coming out of the programs are really able to pick and choose where they, um, you know, where they go to work. And, you know, I, I think that we've got to, um, you know, elevate our field to the level that we're treated like everyone else. I mean, you know, when I talk to, you know, legislators, I use the VA as an example. You know, when we get a veteran here in, you know, in through our clinic, I mean, they've hit the jackpot, right? I mean, they can get any service, any device, anything, anything that they want. And so, you know, I think until, you know, we're, we're put on a level 
playing field. We're, we're paying money to attract people into the field. I will say, though, that we in Oklahoma tried for a number of years to work with um, our historically black college here to try to stand up a, um, a program here in Oklahoma at the bachelor's level for, um, for VRT. And we had been working with ACVREP to do that. The university was on board, but then you get into who's going to fund these programs, who's going to teach these programs, right? I mean, they wanted us then to provide the staff to be able to teach the programs. Well, we're providing services. And so, you know, where are the, the people who, um, who can teach these programs as well? You know, we've seen programs attrit over the last 20 years. We know there are programs out there that are in danger of existing in perpetuity because we don't have professionals coming in behind to take those programs over and administer. So, you know, there really are. I mean, it's it's a very, very complicated issue. And I'm very thankful that we're having this discussion this morning. And and thank you for uh, sharing that perspective as well. Folks, we are nearing the end of this session, so we will not take any more uh, questions or comments from the from the audience. Lauren, uh, in in wrapping up the session here, we have about uh, five minutes and five panelists, so that works out kind of nicely. Um, is there anything in addition you'd like to say to what you just shared? I almost feel bad going back to you because that's kind of sounded like a closing argument, but I'll just ask if there's anything you'd like to share here as we come to a close for hopefully what is the first and not the only conversation on this topic. Well, the only thing I have to say is that I appreciate ACB's willingness to take on this issue and have this panel discussion. I think that, um, you know, as as a number of people have mentioned, we we as stakeholders and, and the broader group need to be open and honest and transparent and engage in these types of discussions to find um, the solutions moving forward. And so I congratulate um, you, ACB, on taking on this very difficult but necessary conversation. Thank you, Lauren. And next, I'll turn it to Lee Sonnenberg. Thank you. Um, I guess in summary, I do appreciate ACB um, taking the initiative to begin this discussion here and inviting this panel. Um, I'm looking forward to this summit uh, where we all come together to start discussing these issues. Um, I think it's very important. And um, the, the consensus needs to be there and everyone needs to be at the table to discussing this so we can move forward as a community. Thank you, Lee. Uh, and now I'd like to turn it to Jamie Dean for closing thoughts. And also a, a thank you to ACVREP for helping uh, give us the, the impetus to bring this panel together. <laughs> so uh, I'll echo the other panelists. Appreciate ACB having the conversation. Obviously, ACVREP and ACB have already work closely together on issues like the audio describer certification, and we appreciate your partnership. Um, and I appreciate the willingness to have hard conversations in a respectful, professional way. That's how we 
grow. It's how we learn. And so I, I do value that. And as an organization, we welcome that. Um, I think we're at a time when all of us need to be thinking entrepreneurially. All of us need to be thinking about innovating. There's a lot of territory to cover and we can't continue to do things as they've been done for the past five decades or that territory won't get covered and the problem's only getting bigger. So I encourage everyone be an innovator, you know, be a change maker, be daring and, uh, you know, be quick to think of new ideas and maybe slow to, uh, to worry about the um, things that are outside of our control or, or the things that maybe that haven't happened yet. So be innovators is my last, my mass, my last message. Thank you, Jamie. And now I'll turn to Lori Sharp for closing thoughts. So Doug and I think we should use the summit as a fundraiser, just saying. Um, and if you want to hear more about this, the rehabilitation task force of ACB sponsored a uh, community event that was an hour and a half long where we spoke with an occupational therapist and mom of a deafblind child who became certified as a uh, CVRT and comms, as well as some other professionals in the field. And I look forward to having further discussion on this. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. And I'll turn to, turn to Doug Powell to bring us home. Uh, Lori wants me to say that it was podcasted, so you can pick it up on the ACB podcasts. Um, I, all I have to say is let's get this thing moving because uh, people are still sitting around waiting for services. So uh, the sooner we can get the summit going, the sooner we can start uh, really talking about the solutions and implementing some stuff that will allow people to live the kinds of lives that we want to live. Thank you, Doug. And, you know, I, I teased Jamie and ACVREP earlier, but I do want to thank them for bringing this issue to the forefront. And I'd like to thank all of our panelists for sharing their perspectives. You know, this, we, we brought this about because of the, the certification, the vision certification for occupational therapists. But as you hear today, the issue is much, much larger. Um, we, need, we need funding, we need support, and we need trained professionals to ensure that all people who are blind, low vision, and deafblind can live as integrated members of their community. So again, thank you to all of our partners and thank you for everyone uh, joining the session today. And I'll hand it back over to Kim Charlson. Thank you. And I want to thank Clark for doing quite a masterful job of bringing these people together and providing us with a truly informative, thought-provoking panel um, that I think is just the first of many steps in the 91 boxes that uh, Doug is going to be famous for now, um, as we're all using that as our analogy. Um, I just want to have the door prize people get ready, and I'll be back to you in a couple seconds. You can tell me how many door prizes we have. We're going to have a break. But again, um, for our Zoom people, Lauren, Jamie, thank you so much for um, participating with us today. Um, this is such a critical issue. And I want to thank all of you in the audience, both live and on Zoom. This is a complicated issue. You probably heard enough alphabet soup to fill a bowl today. But you're going to have to learn the alphabet in this context because we need to do everything we can 
to help those people who are out there who are not getting service. And this is the first step in something that's so long overdue. It should have happened years ago. It's got to happen now to give those people a chance to live an independent life. So thank you, everyone. Door prizes. Okay. Hi, everyone. We're going to do two now and then a couple after break and then some at the end. Perfect. Our first door prize is a $20 gift, a $20 uh, donated by the Austin Council of the Blind. And our winner is Virginia Debley, D-E-B-L-A-E-Y. And she is virtual. Okay. okay, good. Let's give her a hand, everybody. Virginia DeBlay. Yes. DeBlay, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Virginia DeBlay. Okay. Um, our second, and she will, what will happen for virtual was with, that we will mail the prices to her. Okay, our next one is Burger Cookies, and that's donated by Maryland Council of the Blind. And the winner of this prize is here, name of Allison Smitherman. Yay! All right. Okay. Announcement. So I will come back after break with more right. door prizes today. Thank you so much. And we're going to have a short break. It'll be about 10 minutes. Um, but do come back because we're going to talk all about audio description Madam and Chair, share with I, you. Can I make an announcement real quick? Announcement. Go ahead. This is DJ McIntyre. The, at the Georgia table, my mom Betsy has Georgia pecans for $10 a bag. They're halves Georgia and pieces pecans. if anyone wants to. It funds our local Lions Club. But we have fresh Georgia pecans over at the table. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Madam Chair. Yes. This is Alan. Go ahead, right Alan. Here. I know uh, what you I, have. I have uh, Braille Farm <laughs> raffle tickets. I'd like to sell a few. If, you, if you're in the market for a sale, uh, Braille Farm raffle ticket, I got them. And so. Alan is up toward the front right. in the North Dakota delegation area. Ohio and North Dakota. Ohio and North Dakota. All right, let's have Won't some door uh, prizes. Your dog, I'm coming to you with your dog. No, you... <laughs> Somebody grabbed her. Thank you so much to the rescue. I had her tethered too. She she's a smart dog, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Can we have our door prizes? All right. You might need a mic too. Okay. There you Hello, are. Hello, everyone. Fine. All right. <laughs> Today we have, uh, for our next door prizes, we have $50 uh, Visa card from the ACB Radio Amateurs. And the winner of that is Kenneth Simeon. Okay, and he is here, so he'll be able to, to get the gift card then. That's right. Okay, we'll, our next one is... A $25 Visa card from Wakanda Lions. And the winner of that is Nancy Shadeg. Uh, uh, she is virtual. S-C-H-A-D-E-G-G. -G. Okay. Um, shall we do one more? Yeah, let's do one let's more. Let's do one more. I agree. 
Okay, <clears throat> the next one is tw $20 uh, by, uh, let's see, wait a minute, yeah, $20 again by Austin Council of the Blind. And this man is also virtual. His name is Jeffrey Prostko. Jeffrey Prostko, P-R-O-S-T-K-O. And he right. is virtual. Very okay? good. Now let's give him a Congratulations good to Congratulations to our winners and thank you for the door prizes. Much appreciated. All right. So our, our next segment on our program today is one that is especially um, important to me. I have the honor of serving ACB as the co-chair of the Audio Description Project, one of ACB's major um, initiatives, program initiatives. And I serve as um, co-chair with Carl Richardson, who is from the Boston area as well. And a large group of volunteers that serve on the six committees for the Audio Description Project, one of which is the Audio Description Award, Project Awards Committee. So that's what we're going to focus on today, but the other committees, including media, performing arts, museums and parks, Beatty, which you'll learn about today, the benefits of audio description in education for children, um, our Section 508 Committee, and our awards gala committee. There is a lot of people involved in all the aspects of the audio description project. And to help us do all the work we do, we're fortunate to have Tabitha Kenlon as our audio description project coordinator on staff at ACB. And as contractors for AC with ADP, we have Joel Snyder, whom many of you know from his long service with ACB as our founder and senior consultant to the Audio Description Project. Fred Brack, our webmaster of the Audio Description Project website, adp.acb.org. And Timothy Wynn, who is the person who finds out what's on TV and posts it to the website every week. He keeps track of all of that so you all will know what you can watch with audio description. So it's my pleasure today to, um, to introduce the video and you're going to meet uh, Jeff Tom, the ADP Awards Committee Chair, and Tabitha Kenlon, our ADP Coordinator, as they present to you the Class of 2023 Audio Description Project Award winners. ACB presents 2023 Audio Description Project Achievement Awards in Audio Description. Tabitha Kenlin, ADP Coordinator. Welcome to the ADP Awards, brought to you by the American Council of the Blinds Audio Description Project. I'm Tabitha Kenlin, the coordinator of the ADP, and I'm joined by Jeff Tom, the chair of the ADP Awards Committee. Jeff, can you tell us a little about the ADP Awards? Jeff Tom, ADP Awards Committee Chair. The Audio Description Project Awards honor the people and organizations that make outstanding contributions to the quality, availability, and understanding of audio description. The awards recognize achievement in audio description in the performing arts, museums, visual arts, and visitor centers, 
the public sector, research and development, and career achievement. Achievement in audio description, media, individual. Thank you, Jeff. Our first award is for achievement in media by an individual. The winner is Deborah Erickson, executive chef and founder of The Blind Kitchen, which provides accessible cooking tools and tips to help people who are blind or have low vision cook safely, independently, and confidently. On The Blind Kitchen's YouTube channel, Deborah posts audio-described videos that explain in detail how to use each tool that is sold on the Blind Kitchen site. The nomination praised Deborah for exemplifying the standard that we as a community deserve from all YouTube channels. By including audio description, the Blind Kitchen acknowledges and respects the needs of our community, sees value in providing equal access, and sets the benchmark for others to follow. Congratulations, Deborah. A cupcake with bright frosting appears against a white background. It hops forward and gasps as it discovers three muffin pans that exactly look like braille cells. Seven more brightly colored cupcakes appear at the whistled command of the original cupcake, hop into the various muffin holes to form the braille letters TBK. The muffin tins are replaced by the Blind Kitchen logo, green braille letters TBK on a white background. Fade to black. Deborah Erickson, executive chef and founder of The Blind Kitchen. Hello, and welcome to The Blind Kitchen, where everyone gets a seat at the table. I'm Deborah Erickson, the executive chef and founder of The Blind Kitchen, and I am honored to be able to accept this award from the Audio Description Project. Since its conception, The Blind Kitchen has wanted to provide adaptive cooking tools and strategies for people with vision loss who wanted to cook, and we wanted to make sure that every portion of The Blind Kitchen was accessible to everyone, regardless of their position on the vision spectrum. I owe a special thank you to my videographer, Edgar Garcia Chavez. He was not only talented, but he also had the special gift to be able to listen to a blind entrepreneur try and convey what I wanted the blind kitchen to be. And he was able to translate that into a a product that now has been recognized, and he knows he did a very good job. Again, thank you so much for this honor. We really appreciate it and are humbled by it. Achievement in audio description, visual art, museums, visitor centers, individual. Our next award is for achievement in museums by an individual. The winner is Karen Bergman, who has already received profuse praise for her work at the Guggenheim Museum in New York City. In 2020, her accessible tours reached a wider audience when so many things moved online due to the pandemic lockdown. In fact, Karen was nominated for this award by a Canadian artist who is blind and says she was, quote, culturally enriched by the skills and competence of Karen's description of countless artworks housed at the Guggenheim. An artist herself, Karen's ability to describe art to blind patrons is, in the nominator's opinion, unsurpassed. Karen provides cultural and political contexts to her descriptions of the artworks, and her communication skills add immeasurably to the described art experience. 
According to the nominator, it's candy for the creative soul. Congratulations, Karen. Karen Bergman, Guggenheim Museum. Thank you so much to the American Council of Fine's Audio Description Project for this great honor. Um, In my current work at the Guggenheim Museum, I host a weekly program featuring description of artworks and conversation about the many facets of art. And I want to express a deep thanks to the Mind's Eye program participants who attend and bring a rich exchange of thoughts each week. This group of dedicated individuals has been an anchor for me for years now. They spur me on to look more closely, understand more fully, and hone my own craft of describing. I'm so grateful for this opportunity through description to champion the work of artists and expand access to art and architecture. Thank you for this great honor. Achievement in audio description, visual art, museums, visitor centers, organization. Next, we recognize achievement in museums by an organization. The winner is the North Carolina Museum of Art and its Sensory Journey Through Art program. These virtual events are designed for adults who are blind, have low vision, or have a learning need that would benefit from a sensory style experience. Registrants receive a small kit of objects to awaken the senses and help connect deeper to the artwork. Both audio description and captioning are provided. The nominator praised the multi-sensory experience, the interactivity, and the responsiveness of the staff, saying, I did not realize how much I craved hearing the details of an artwork until I went on my first journey. She appreciated museum staff for being receptive to feedback and providing the description in advance after being asked to do so. Here to accept the award are Molly Hull, Accessibility Coordinator, and Felicia Ingram, Manager of Interpretation, Accessibility, and Diversity. Congratulations, Molly, Felicia, and everyone at the North Carolina Museum of Art. Felicia Ingram, North Carolina Museum of Art. Hi there, my name's Felicia. I'm a white woman in my late 20s. I have long brown hair, I'm wearing a black shirt with blue flowers, and I have red glasses on. Molly Hull, North Carolina Museum of Art. Hi, my name is Molly, and I am a white woman in my late 20s with curly brown hair, and I am wearing a red shirt. We are so happy to be here today, and we want to thank so many people for this wonderful project. Um, We, of course, want to thank the Audio Description Project, and we are really honored to receive this award. Um, But first off, we want to thank our staff at the MCMA, which includes our docents and those that help facilitate the program. Uh, Bree is our manager of the Mindful Museum Program, and she really worked with me back in 2020 to bring this into her set of programs uh, and create an experience that everyone could participate in, especially right in the midst of COVID of 2020. Um, And then I want to thank Molly, who came on later. um, And she's really helped to build this beautiful program and make it what it is today. And she continues to strive to make it better. Second, we would like to thank Arts Access, which is a North Carolina nonprofit that is dedicated to providing North Carolinians with access to art. We're honored to partner with them on this program to create audio descriptions for works of art. 
We also want to thank uh, the Museum's Accessibility Stakeholders Committee, which consists of 30 members from the community, either with disabilities or with children with disabilities, and in the surrounding cities of the Triangle, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. Um, they, especially at the beginning, were a big part of the program because we valued their feedback and even their evaluation of the program. Um, so not only do we uh, work with them to help make the program better, uh, but they're a big part of our outreach and our audience engagement as well. I don't think we would have as big a following without so many of our stakeholders members. And uh, we often have reoccurring members that come every other month and they constantly come and um, they're a big part of the outreach and reaching the community. And so we really want to thank that stakeholders committee for us. And last but certainly not least, the participants of this program who are our advocates for the sensory journey, as well as the museum. Your constant support motivates us to continue to expand and improve our efforts. And without you, this program would not be what it is today. If you have never attended a journey, we encourage you to visit our website and register. Thank you. Thank you. Special Achievement in Museums. This year, the committee decided to also give an award recognizing special achievement in museums. The winner is Dr. Michelle Edwards for the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., which is the only national museum devoted exclusively to the documentation of African American life, history, and culture. Dr. Edwards developed a series of virtual living history tour programs called History Alive. They were the museum's first virtual tour programs to contain video with an audio description track. The programs include a look at the last five years of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and how Black World War II veterans continued to fight for freedom when they returned to the United States. The History Alive programs are available to stream on the museum's Ustream and YouTube channels. Dr. Edwards is currently working on the next History Alive installment titled Sports, Leveling the Playing Field. Congratulations, Dr. Edwards. Dr. Michelle Edwards, National Museum of African American History and Culture. I'd like to thank the American Council of the Blind for selecting me as a recipient for the 2023 Audio Description Achievement Award for Special Achievements in Museums. The National Museum of African American History and Culture is a public institution open to all where anyone is welcome to participate, collaborate, and learn about the Black experience in America. During our History Alive programs, visitors hear stories about the African-American experience and explore themes of freedom, self-determination, citizenship, valor, and much, much more. The auto-described virtual tours were developed to provide an immersive learning experience for those who may not be able to travel or physically access the museum. I am grateful to have worked with a wonderful team of individuals on this project. First and foremost, I'd like to thank historian John M. McCaskill for his authentic living history presentations, Zaza Hendricks Media Work for their videography work, and the museum's senior leadership team for supporting the program. I would like to offer a special thanks to Esther Washington, Cassidy Moses, Shereen Dash, Keith Madden, Adam Rasmussen, Adam Martin, and Michael Hyman for helping me with the live broadcast and their guidance on the project. 
The Smithsonian Institution's Shared Future Initiative challenges the Smithsonian to embody diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion in equal measure in our workforce and our external programs and scholarship. Lastly, I'd like to offer my thanks to Head Diversity Officer Beth Zebart and Ashley Grady from Smithsonian Access Programs for making themselves available to answer my many questions about how to make our virtual tours accessible by way of audio description. Receiving this award means so much to me. Thank you again, for I am truly honored. Achievement in Audio Description, Performing Arts, Individual. We've done media and museums. Now it's time to get dramatic. For Achievement in the Performing Arts by an Individual, our winner is Bonnie Barlow. Bonnie has provided live description of more than 258 plays and events, from Amadeus to Wicked. Bonnie consults with theaters across the country, helping them launch their own audio description programs. The nominator praised Bonnie's skill, saying that her description becomes part of the richness of the performance rather than distracting from the performance. Another nominator commended Bonnie's willingness to train and mentor new audio describers. Bonnie's AD work includes live theater, the ballet, films, TV and streaming series, and even the rodeo. Congratulations, Bonnie. Bonnie Barlow, audio describer. If ever there was a time I'm tasked to use vivid, succinct language, this would be it. Uh, thank you very much for giving me this award. For all of my years of providing audio description in a lot of areas, the performing arts are especially important to me because that's how we as a society explore. We ask questions, form ideas, test out theories, gauge the results and reactions, and then continue the discussion. My part is fulfilled by recognizing and relaying everything the creators put into their piece. It's a way to transport us from our usual self-centered perspective to consider other viewpoints, a look at others' lives. So, it's a form of social media we've employed over the centuries. And with audio description and all of its aspects, there's always something new and challenging that comes along where we have to get creative in interpreting the visual aspects of it. I strive to relay an experience, not just information. And really, I've never stuck with a job this long before, so must be doing something all right. So I'll keep on keeping on. And thank you again so much for this honor. Achievement in Audio Description, Performing Arts Organization. For Achievement in Performing Arts by an Organization, our winner is the Smith Center for the Performing Arts in Las Vegas. Prior to the opening of the Smith Center, the nominator did not have consistent access to audio description for performing arts. The Smith Center provides live audio description at their Broadway series. The nominator praised the team members' kindness, saying they truly care about the quality of their work for their audio description. Before the show starts, they meet with patrons to confirm their preference on how descriptive they should be. They even come visit, quote, during intermission to take notes and guidance for the remainder of the show. In a heartfelt endorsement, the nominator concludes, my experience with the Smith Center and all its employees 
has been a highlight that I never thought I would be able to experience. They are a huge staple in our community, and their continued efforts and accessibility only makes them that much better and more deserving of this award. Here to accept the award is Sarah Tiemann, Smith Center Manager of Guest Experience. Congratulations, Sarah, and everyone at the Smith Center. Sarah Thielman, Manager of Guest Experience, Smith Center. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for this incredible honor of receiving the 2023 Audio Description Achievement Award. I'm humbled, grateful, and deeply moved by this recognition of my work in the field of audio description. When I embarked on this journey, little did I know it would lead me to this moment, accepting this prestigious award. A commitment to inclusivity and a belief in the power of storytelling to reach every single person regardless of their visual abilities. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the Smith Center for the Performing Arts, Myron Martin, Suzanne Chabray, and our audio description team to make the audio description an essential part of our cultural landscape. The dedication of our describers, Mary Riley Lowe, Dominic Mota, and Chanel Carson, have paved the way for more inclusive experience. I am proud to be a part of this remarkable team. To the visually impaired community, you have showed us that barriers can be broken, and your passion for storytelling drives us to create the best audio description possible. Your feedback, insights, and unwavering support have been instrumental in shaping the field of audio description, and I am grateful for your trust. Receiving this award is a humbling reminder of the impact that audio description can have on individuals and society. Together, we can ensure that every person, regardless of visual abilities, can experience the magic of storytelling. Thank you to the American Council of the Blind and the Audio Description Project for this extraordinary honor. I accept on behalf of the Smith Center for the Performing Arts and our dedicated team of audio describers. Thank you. Audio Description Project Public Sector Award. If you are a little starry-eyed after all that, it's okay, because now we're going to outer space. The Public Sector Award goes to the Space Telescope Science Institute. As a federal contractor to NASA, the Institute, or STSCI, helped guide the most famous observations in history, the Hubble and the James Webb Space Telescopes. In July 2022, the staff at STSCI embarked on a project to describe the universe using the data transmitted from the James Webb Telescope. A team of scientists and writers combined their skills to describe planetary objects, galaxies, and star clusters. The STSCI staff also created tactile representations of selected web telescope data so low vision and blind space enthusiasts could touch the universe. Here to accept the award are Margaret Carruthers, Deputy Branch Manager, Writing and Design, and Timothy Rue, Principal Informal Education Specialist. Congratulations, Margaret, Tim, and everyone at the Space Telescope Science Institute. Timothy Rue, Space Telescope Science Institute. Hi, my name is Tim Rue, Principal Education Specialist here at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. Margaret Carruthers, Space Telescope Science Institute. And I'm Margaret Carruthers. I'm a science writer and I am Deputy Branch Manager for Writing and Design here at STSCI. 
On behalf of everybody here at Space Telescope, thank you. We are absolutely delighted to be recipients of this award. So this time last year, we were hard at work preparing to share the first data from the James Webb Space Telescope with the world and trying our best to faithfully describe these spectacular images of parts of the universe that no one had seen in such detail before. And we knew that our efforts to reach everyone would not be complete without these descriptions. But most of us had really very little idea exactly who we would be reaching, how many people we'd reach, and what impact we could make. And we've just been overwhelmed with the stories of people who dreamed of reaching the stars, but never thought they truly experienced the wonders of space. This, of course, is not just the work of one or two people. Uh, creating text descriptions that can conjure an accurate image and making sure that everyone has access to those descriptions, it requires writers, astronomers, educators, software developers, designers, web content managers, including blind and visually impaired people. Uh, a special thanks goes to Prime Access Consulting, who guided us in developing a strategy and provided essential feedback to help us build the skills to write effective descriptions. And finally, we want to thank all of you for all the acknowledgements, encouragement, and feedback. Our commitment to this work has really been galvanized by the response from members of the blind and visually impaired community. It's accelerating our efforts to develop rich and detailed descriptions for all of the Hubble and web imagery. And it's really changing how we approach our other products as well, helping us increase accessibility for all of our work. Once again, thank you so much for this award, for marking one more successful step towards our big goal of making astronomy accessible to all. We hope to continue to make you all proud as we discover the universe together. International Award. Back to Earth and around the globe. This time, it's across the pond for the International Award, which goes to movie reading. In the last 10 years, movie reading has developed a unique technology for bringing access to individual devices in any theater without technological change or additional charge. Audio description and captioning can be downloaded to a patron's individual device. The assets can be used for cinema, broadcast, and video-on-demand content. Based in Italy, movie reading has expanded internationally cooperating with local representatives in Brazil, France, and Northern European Union countries. Recently, movie reading has made many technological advances to improve content security for all distribution and production companies and major organizations. The service is completely free of charge for all blind and deaf patrons worldwide. Movie reading is a product of universal multimedia access, which is part of an access group that includes Arts Project and the nonprofit organization Cultural Ability. This group has worked for more than 15 years to improve access to cinema, television, theater, and culture for people with sensory disabilities. Here to accept the award is Giacomo Olgeni. Congratulations, Giacomo, and everyone at Movie Reading. Giacomo Algeni, Movie Reading. Hello, everyone. I want to express my gratitude to the American Council of the Blind for recognizing the work that we have done. Within our profession, it is sometimes difficult to have feedback from the larger public, so it fills us with joy and pride to learn that we 
have actually been selected for the prestigious ADP award. This award underscores two things for us, that we are walking on the right path and that we must continue our efforts to bring accessibility in any form to all who need it. And I wish to acknowledge the efforts of all the other organizations and companies who are working towards this goal. On this occasion, I would like to extend my heartfelt thanks to those who have played a critical role in our success and helped us reach this goal. First of all, Carlo and Vera, my business partners and longtime friends, who worked tirelessly to ensure that our dream could become an international reality. I would like to acknowledge the hard work and dedication of the people at Artis Project, our partner in Italy, their professionalism, empathy, and care for our users are qualities that we hold in high esteem, and we are grateful for their continued partnership. I would also like to express my gratitude to our friends and partners at Iguale in Brazil, Murillo, Mauricio, and Leo, and all the people working with them. We are proud to have Iguale as our partner and look forward to continuing to work together to make the world a more inclusive place. I would like to offer special thanks to the people at Disney, Warner Bros, NBC Universal, and Sony Pictures. Their collaboration was invaluable in ensuring that our solution was well accepted by filmmakers. We are proud to have worked alongside them and look forward to continuing working together. Lastly, I would like to extend our gratitude to our longtime partner, Per Lilienquist, and his company, Do Good, in Sweden. His support has been crucial in helping us expand beyond Italy and becoming the company we are today. On behalf of everyone I have mentioned, I would like to once again express our deepest gratitude to the American Council of the Blind for recognizing our efforts. To everyone in attendance, thank you, and please continue your efforts to make the world a more inclusive place. Thank you. Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description. Our final award is the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description. This award recognizes outstanding contributions to the field of audio description over an extended period of time by leading, inspiring, or providing significant service to others. The winner is Dr. Joshua Miele. Dr. Miele, who is blind, works as an adaptive technology designer. Dr. Miele is creating effective and affordable solutions to everyday accessibility problems. Much of his recent work has focused on visual digital technology, such as access to graphics and streaming video, which are often inaccessible to people on the blindness spectrum. His You Describe platform combines crowdsourced audio descriptions of YouTube videos with an interface to synchronize the descriptive audio with the video. The nominator pointed out that Dr. Miele's expertise in information accessibility and his commitment to making solutions available for mass use will be increasingly important as we move into an ever more digitized world. Congratulations, Dr. Miele. Dr. Joshua Miele, you describe. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Um, I am deeply flattered and honored to be um, to be given this award. It is, uh, it is my, um, I'm just thrilled. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and appreciate the work of the ACB and the audio description project. Um, I, uh, I just want to look back for a minute and say that it's, um, it's 10 years, um, since we officially released 
you described to the world and allowed people to start using a platform that let anyone anywhere add audio description to any YouTube video they wanted and share it with the world for free. And so that really changed the landscape of audio description and whose voices were being heard, who was writing the scripts, who was uh, choosing the material to be described. It was the first time really that um, we brought social media and audio description together in a meaningful way. And I, um, I hope that some of the lessons that we've learned from you describe have been, um, have been brought to uh, the, the audio description that we now all uh, need so much. So I am blind. I am coming at audio description from the perspective of a dedicated consumer. And um, since my time at uh, Smith Kettlewell developing the uh, uh, developing you describe with a, a, a large team of others who all deserve uh, lots of credit and appreciation. Um, since that time, I have moved on to, uh, to be a researcher at Amazon. And um, my motivation there is really to, uh, to be able to work on accessibility at scale, at an Amazon scale. And that includes my, uh, my hopes for audio description. Amazon currently offers more audio description than any other streaming platform, which is something to be extremely proud of. I'm extremely proud of that. And, um, and I, uh, I have had, um, it's been my pleasure to work with the audio description teams on Prime Video and at, um, and at, uh, Amazon Studios to, to achieve that. But quantity is not sufficient. We, um, we are also committed to delivering quality audio description and to understanding explicitly what that means and how to do it in a measurable and repeatable way. And that is, um, that is super important. I, um, I have a dream that someday audio description will be as ubiquitous as, uh, as captions. And that is, um, that we are, we are poised on the brink of achieving, um, uh, achieving that. We're not there yet and it's going to take a while. And I, I just want to say that, um, you know, a lifetime achievement award sounds like, it sounds like I'm done, but, um, as we say at Amazon, it is still day one and there's a, there's an enormous amount of work left to do in, um, bringing audio description to more people on more platforms, making sure that it is as at, at the highest quality with all possible options. Um, audio description is essential. I've always believed that audio description is as important as access to, uh, to text, to maps, to graphics, to other information. And, um, that audio description needs to be high quality in order to be meaningful. And, um, I just want to say a final absolute thank you to the ACB and the audio description project for, um, for keeping, for bearing the torch of audio description through the years, for making sure that um, folks like me and uh, corporations like Amazon are aware of the importance of audio description to blind consumers, blind viewers, and that uh, keeping um, keeping everyone accountable for how audio description needs to be done and the quality at which uh, blind consumers expect it to be delivered. So thank you to the ACB and to the audio description project. And thank you, um, again for, uh, 
for the honor of the Barry Levine Lifetime Achievement Award in Audio Description. Those are the 2023 Audio Description Project Awards. Let me thank my awesome committee. Along with Tabitha, we have Kim Charlson, Dan Spoon, Carl Richardson, Joel Snyder, and Sean Barrett. Our thanks to everyone who submitted nominations, and of course, to our great award winners. It's great to know that so many people are working hard to provide and improve audio description across the country, around the world, in cyberspace and in outer space. We hope you enjoy audio description wherever you find it. We do have one final award, and here is Susan Glass to tell you all about it. Beatty, Benefits of Audio Description in Education. Susan Glass, Beatty Chairperson. Hello, ACB. My name is Susan Glass, and since 2013, it's been my honor and privilege to chair ACB's Audio Description Project, Benefits of Audio Description in Education, Beatty Subcommittee. Each year, ACB ADP and our partner, the Described and Captioned Media Program, DCMP, co-sponsor the Beatty Contest in which blind and visually impaired young people ages 7 to 21 watch an audio-described film of their choice and then write a 300-word evaluation of the film's audio description. They share specific ways in which the audio description enhanced or detracted from their experience with the film. Members of our Beatty committee read all contest entries and then choose first, second, and third place winners in four student age categories. The grand prize winner receives an iPad mini and an invitation to read their review at either ACB's mid-year meetings and seminar or the national conference and convention. This year's grand prize winner is Ms. May Lekarnas. She reviewed Tim Burton's TV series Wednesday, and she will now share her review with all of ACB. Congratulations, May. Katie Lane Carnas. Thank you so much, American Council of the Blind and the Described and Captioned Media Program for co-sponsoring essay writing on the benefits of audio descriptions in education. I'm Katie Lane Carnas, homeschooling parent to my daughter, 13-year-old May. May was diagnosed with CVI, cortical or cerebral visual impairment, 18 months ago after having spent her life up until that point with no one around her, including herself, realizing that her challenges were due to a very common brain-based blindness. Lack of visual access was frustrating, anxiety-provoking, and made academic achievement nearly impossible for May without appropriate accommodations. At May's initial diagnosis of CVI, her optometrist actually suggested she try audio descriptions. This simple change not only helped May dramatically, but it gave us, as her parents and teachers, an indication of just how much May had been missing. We soon pivoted to Braille instruction in all content areas, and May absolutely took off. Audio descriptions, 3D models, Nemeth code, Braille literacy, robust non-visual tools have given May real access to her education and confidence in herself. Learning about and articulating her experience with audio descriptions in media has been a wonderful experience for May to explore self-advocacy, reflection, and written analysis. 
It is my pleasure to introduce 13-year-old Maylene Kernis reading her essay that she wrote and will be reading on her refreshable Braille display after just 18 months of access to audio descriptions and Braille. May Lane Karnas. You know it's a great audio description when you have no recollection of it. Audio descriptions at their finest should fit perfectly in the cracks of a story so you can get swept up in the story without having to think of them as extra. Director Tim Burton's TV series Wednesday has clear, concise audio descriptions that gives you the perfect amount of information given the time allotted. They paint a clear picture of what's going on, and they match the overall tone of the program. They fit perfectly in the cracks. At the same time, I wish they had had more time to talk about the visual nuances and storytelling Tim Burton is known for. One of the most appealing character traits of Wednesday Adams is that she maintains a Kubrick stare, a down-tilted head with eyes staring through the eyebrows, throughout the TV show. The amount of emotion in her eyes alone is so subtle and detailed and yet impactful and I don't feel we got adequate access as a blind audience. There is also a lot of visual symbolism, clues, and red herrings supporting the murder mystery aspect of the show that I don't think we get access to either. I feel quite sad about that. This has become one of my favorite TV shows because of the access audio descriptions have provided. At the same time, I want access to the more artistic and visually nuanced elements sighted fans get to enjoy. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Wow. What can you say after that? What a talented young woman. Um, 13 and 18 months of Braille instruction. That is phenomenal. And let's have one more round of applause for all of our winners today. And yay to the Audio Description Project. So, I... uh, I want... Whoops, excuse me, sorry. (laughs) I want to give you an update on the runaway Idabel dog, um, I thought all of you deserved to, to, to know that my dog isn't as errant as I had thought. She was about four feet away. I had moved my chair. Her leash came unhooked from this, the leg of the chair, and she was next to the other chair sleeping, which she does often because she thinks I'm boring. So she never went anywhere. She was four feet away from me the whole time. So... <laughs> So she is back. All right. Oh, there was an actual runaway. It wasn't mine, though. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm thrilled to introduce our next um, set of speakers um, from Be My Eyes. I am a, a recent convert to the Be My Eyes community. I love the virtual assistant and can't wait to hear 
what Mike Buckley, who is the chairman and CEO for uh, Be My Eyes from San Mateo, California, has to tell us, along with Christian Erfurt, who is the co-founder and chief evangelist from Denmark. So welcome to ACB, Mike and, and Christian, and we're so excited to hear what you have to tell us. They here or in Zoom? I wasn't actually. They're in Zoom. Okay. They are not on the panelist or attendees side. Oh no! Oh my goodness! Can, yes, can we call? Be my eyes and see if we could find them. Yes. <laughs> oh, I had heard rumor that perhaps there was some travel issues for Mike. Yeah, he's on Zoom. He was supposed to be on Zoom. Well, I can't whisk him up at magic. I don't apologize for such a loss in our program because I was really looking forward to it. I love the virtual assistant. Those of you who may have been fortunate to be gradually um, brought into the virtual assistants and have access on Be My Eyes, um, it's fabulous. Um, I'll just tell you one story. I did some um, wayfinding consultation with the um, Boston Aquarium, and I walked into the aquarium. You can imagine an aquarium isn't the most easy place to make very accessible because everything's behind glass, and it better stay that way or else we're in trouble. Um, <laughs> but I walked in, and I took out Be My Eyes, and I took a picture of the lobby, and uh, and it told me that I was in front of the penguin um, habitat. And it told me that there was one penguin off to the side and the others were over on the other end. So I was curious, why would there be one penguin all alone? Well, maybe he's the, he's the loner of the group or something. So I asked it to tell me what kind of penguin was the one standing by itself. And it told me it was an African penguin. So... I enjoyed that very much, and just I, I'm always finding new ways to use virtual assistant, and it's just an amazing way that AI technology can help us. So, again, um, my regrets, and I'm so sorry they are not here with us. We're checking on it, um, and I will, in the interim, we'll update you in a couple moments, but would like to take um, any announcements that people might have before while we're checking. No, no, no. Mike Buckley? Yes. So we're still checking Zoom. If anyone has an announcement. Of yep, I got one, Kim. Okay, Ray. All right. Good morning, Ray Campbell from the Illinois Council of the Blind. Um, in case you thought it was too late to buy your 50-50 raffle tickets from us, it is certainly not. We will be raffling all, going selling all summer long for 50% of the pot that we'll be selling from now till Labor Day. And then we'll draw September 9th. Um, I, believe our, I believe Maggie has gone home from our exhibit, but... You can still get your 50-50 tickets. Several of us have them. See us at the Illinois table. You can also contact our office by telephone at 217-523-4967 to purchase them. 
or you can go online to www.icbonline.org and click the 2023 Summer Raffle. They're $5 each, or five tickets for $20. The last couple of years, the winner has taken home around $900. So it's well worth it. Come and help ICB raise some money. Thank you very much. Thank you. Madam Chair? Uh, yes, I'd like to recognize Jean Mann to Hi. tell us something about MMS. I am. If you did not make it to our booth or you came and nobody was there because we didn't have coverage all the time, um, you can either go to the registration office and fill out a form there, or you can call 888-999-3190, or you can email askacbmms at gmail.com. And you, if you do this by the end of the weekend, I will get in touch with you after we all get home, and you have a chance of winning a $300 Amazon gift card, a $250 Amazon gift card, or one of two uh, $100 Amazon gift cards. So all you need to do if you're not already a member is um, donate a minimum of $10 a month, half of which can go back to an affiliate of your choice. It comes out of your checking account or it gets charged to a credit card. And even if you um, are already a member, you can increase your donation by a minimum of $5 a month and you will be eligible. So thank you very much, and we hope to hear from more of you. Thank you. Madam Chair. Yes, first I'm going to check on Alan Peterson, and if he can get to a mic, but now I'll go back to the lady. Uh, it's Marsha. Marsha. Hey there. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Georgia Council of the Blind still has the Cow Patty Bingo tickets, $10 each, $500 prize. So the cow is the answer. <laughs> Kim, this is Alan. Yes, Alan. I want a progress report. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, I have four tickets left. Four tickets left. Yeah, yeah and uh, the registration desk has about fifteen, sixteen. Okay. So, well, you still have a chance yes, to get yes, a ticket from Alan absolutely. or the registration. Thank Ma you, Alan. Madam Chair. Yes, is that Carl? Yes, it is. Carl. Okay. It this is Carl. So, as Kim mentioned, she and I are both co-chairs of the Audio Description Project, and tonight I just wanted to let everybody know we are showing two Best Picture winners a, a here double in this feature, room at 7.30. Right? Uh, the first one would be CODA, which stands for Child of a Deaf Adult, and that's about the deaf community, and it's, a, and it's an amazing picture, an audio description, and that picture was done differently because there are times when there's no dialogue going on because of deaf people signing to each other and so they had to hire four or five voice talents to do it. But it's a very emotional movie. Bring your tissue box if you're going to come to that movie. Very <laughs> emotional, very entertaining. And then the last, the second movie is Everything All Aware at Once, which um, is also a very good picture. And, and so tonight's a chance to be entertained and watch two best picture winners with audio description. Thank you, Carl. I don't remember where that is, but in here, in the ballroom, yes, okay, for the big screen, that's right, for those who want to look at it. Is it ticketed? Is that, you can pay at the door, um, the, the contribution at the door helps to cover refreshments. They're going to have popcorn and refreshments, so you can really enjoy yourself, and I think it's $10 at the door. So, thank you. No word on Zoom? Madam Chair? 
Yes. Could you write down? Hi, it's Anthony Corona. Oh, who is that? Anthony Corona. I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. Thank you. Yes. So we have the accessible origami with new invention, a um, accessible origami stencil. Jade Alexander, who's running that presentation, is outside at the marketplace. She also designs jewelry. A lot of it is LGBTQ plus themed um, magnetic jewelry and some plushies, some gorgeous stuff. So please go see her. And if you can't make it today, you can also see her in the BPI suite. But come visit Origami as well. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. Ms. Kim, Yes, uh, I'm asking for Deborah. She wants to know if you'd like to do another door prize. I would love to do another door prize. Give me a minute to get it. Okay, that's great. Yes. And we're trying one more time, but if not, we'll wrap up after the door prizes. Madam Chair. Yes, Terry? No, this is Patty Cox. Patty, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We still have a lot of tickets for our drawing for CCLVI, they're $10 a ticket. And there's three winners. Top one's $500. Find any CCLVI member and we'll sell you a bunch of them. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you. Door Thank prizes. You. Okay, we're going to have our uh, three more, a couple, three more door prizes here today. All right. I'm glad because we, I have to leave on a tour, and I wanted to be sure to be able to give everybody <laughs> one. And I'll just make one brief comment. I am a user of Be My Eyes, and I love it. I really do. I mean, I know Ira and AI are great, but it's just nice to have that contact with a person sometimes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, our first door prize is given uh, by the ACB Lions, and it's fifty dollars. And the winner of that prize is Gail Lincoln, and she is here in person. Okay. Gail Lincoln. Yes. Okay. Um, our next one is a $25 uh, gift card donated by Jeff Tom. It's $25, uh, Denny's gift card there. I knew I missed a word there. It's $25 Denny's gift card donated by Jeff Tom. And it goes to Amy McHugh. It's M. C-K-E-O-U-G-H. And she is in person. So it's a $25 Denny's gift card then. Okay. And the final one is is donated proudly by the Illinois Council of the Blind. $25. And the winner of that is Art Cabanilla. Oh, he's here. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Thank you for door prizes. (laughs) Appreciate it. And I want to just remind people that the uh, polls will open at 2 p.m. today, Central Time. So make those calculations on your schedules wherever you may be and take the time to cast your individual votes. This will be the last vote on the agenda. So don't forget. And, And we'll. My other gift to all of you now is some additional time to, uh, to get to lunch or your tours. Enjoy the candy store, those of you who are going. 
Um, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to preside this morning and be back on stage and feel at home with ACB. Thank you. Are we in recess, Madam President? Madam Chair? Madam Chair, point of information. Yes. They turned off the mics. Go ahead, Carla. Go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> I will have to admit I was late coming in here this morning. Shame on me. But uh, were the resolutions read and the amendments read? No, they were not. Uh, no, they were not. That was right. before my time on the podium. Yeah. They're, they're supposed to be read today before yes. we go to vote. Yes. Uh -huh. Hold on. Okay, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn the mic over to Deb, and she's going to um, resolve that because yes, I think are. they are recorded. So. Yes, they are. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. We'll. Thank you. Okay. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They are playing, but we did promise to read them. This is, oops, this is absolutely my bad. It's my first mistake of the hour. I've already made several <laughs> others today, but sorry. Um, Rick, do we have the, the, um, the resolutions, the individual resolutions? Yeah, we, we do. And the Constitution and Bylaws amendments? It'll take me about three minutes to rack it, but yeah, we do. All righty, hold on just a second, everyone. My apologies, but we will, we will give you a reading of them. They were mailed out as well. Um, and um, which is probably the more useful thing for most of us. But certainly, we did agree to read them, and I missed sticking them back on the agenda, so it's my fault. Um, so, yeah, they're available on ACB Media as well, but we did promise to read them in here, and so Rick will get them in just a moment. There are three resolutions and two bylaw amendments. And if you would like to hear them, just hold still, because we're not late. So um, I'm just being honest about what I forgot to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Madam President. All right, good. I, yes? I, I do think we need to note that, um, that sometimes people here at convention have an issue with their email. Yeah, that's time. fine. We're going to read them, Carla. I, I understand. I just also yeah. want to... Remind us all that there are also people um, at home that do not have emails. Right. So and I really they've been available you doing on this. ACB Media for about a day and a half, I think. And so, um, so we've made them available, but we did agree to do this. So this is what we are going to do. They're also on uh, the ACB Business Podcast. And they were sent out yesterday uh, to the distribution list electronically yeah. yeah so the one thing we've missed is reading them here so just let me know when you're ready for them to read and we shall do it because that's what we said we would do 
And I, what I do every night is I adjust the agenda for what I think is really going to happen in the day based on what happened the day before. And I've always caught those, but I missed them this time, which is funny because this is the one time it was actually built into the system. So it really is my fault. Some of the other times that we've been going to read them, I have to actually write that in, but it should have been there. So it is okay. I agree. We will get there which might arise in the absence of such a policy. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization urges each affiliate to adopt a prohibited conduct policy and accompanying implementing procedures in order to enable affiliates to act upon complaints of prohibited conduct. And, be it further resolved that a copy of this resolution shall be sent to each affiliate along with a link to ACB's prohibited conduct policy and information on how to request assistance, if desired, to develop such a policy. End of Resolution 2023-06 Resolución 2023-06 por la cual se incentiva a los afiliados a adoptar una política de conductas prohibidas. Presentada por Margie Donovan. Por cuanto la Junta Directiva del American Council of the Blind... Resolution 2023-06 Encouraging affiliates to adopt a prohibited conduct policy submitted by Margie Donovan. Whereas, the Board of Directors of the American Council of the Blind, ACB, has adopted a policy on prohibited conduct and applicable complaint investigation procedures. And, whereas... The general purpose of this document is to maintain the integrity of its events and online forums by creating a welcoming, professional, safe, and respectful environment for all who attend or participate. And, whereas, such a prohibited conduct policy is intended to ensure that event participants have a procedure under which to direct complaints about conduct that may rise to the level of a serious violation of law or that might be less serious in nature but inimical to the values of the organization. And, whereas, it is commendable that some ACB affiliates have chosen to adopt their own versions of a prohibited conduct policy. And, whereas, the appropriate content for an affiliate's prohibited conduct policy will certainly differ based upon circumstances that may be unique to that affiliate. And, whereas, a prohibited conduct policy may help to alleviate legal liability which might arise in the absence of such a policy. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization urges each affiliate to adopt a prohibited conduct policy and accompanying implementing procedures in order to enable affiliates to act upon complaints of prohibited conduct. And, be it further resolved that... A copy of this resolution shall be sent to each affiliate along with a link to ACB's prohibited conduct policy and information on how to request assistance, if desired, to develop such a policy. End of Resolution 2023-06 Resolución 2023-06 por la cual se incentiva a los afiliados a adoptar una política de conductas prohibidas. Presentada por Margie Donovan. Por cuanto la Junta Directiva del American Council of the Blind, ACB, ha adoptado una política sobre conducta prohibida y procedimientos de investigación de quejas aplicables, y por cuanto el propósito general de este documento es mantener la integridad de sus eventos y foros en línea mediante la creación de un entorno acogedor, profesional, seguro y respetuoso para todos los que asisten o participan. 
y por cuanto dicha política de conductas prohibidas tiene como objetivo garantizar que los participantes del evento puedan acceder a un procedimiento que les permita canalizar quejas sobre conductas que impliquen una violación grave de la ley o que sean de carácter menos grave, pero perjudiciales para los valores de la organización. Y por cuanto es encomiable que algunos afiliados del ACB hayan optado por adoptar sus propias versiones de una política de conductas prohibidas, y por cuanto el contenido apropiado de la política de conductas prohibidas de un afiliado sin duda diferirá en función de las circunstancias específicas de dicho afiliado, y por cuanto una política de conductas prohibidas podría contribuir a atenuar la responsabilidad legal que podría plantearse en el caso de que no existiera dicha política. El American Council of the Blind, reunido en convención, resuelve que esta organización exhorte a cada afiliado a adoptar una política de conductas prohibidas y los procedimientos de implementación correspondientes para que dichos afiliados puedan actuar en caso de denuncias de conductas prohibidas. Y resuelve asimismo que se envíe una copia de esta resolución a cada afiliado, junto con un enlace a la política de conductas prohibidas del ACB e información sobre cómo puede solicitar ayuda, si lo desea, para desarrollar dicha política. Fin de la resolución 2023-06 Resolution 2023-12 Funding of Visual Interpreting Services Submitted by the California Council of the Blind and Robert Acosta Whereas, access to information in all its forms is very possibly the largest impediment to the independence of people who are blind or have low vision. And, whereas, technological advancements have brought about new visual interpretation services, such as IRA, that provide professional and confidential services for a fee. And, whereas, such visual interpretation services are designed to provide a variety of assistance to customers with vision impairments including but not limited to reading mail and other materials, helping to administer and read the results of at-home medical tests, reading computer screens, and providing environmental information that enables individuals to travel safely. And, whereas, the cost of such visual interpreting services is generally unaffordable for low- and middle-income individuals with vision loss. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the American Council of the Blind, in convention assembled that. This organization encourages its affiliates to advocate for funding of professional visual interpretation services at the state level for people who are blind or who have low vision. End of Resolution 2023-12 Resolution 2023-12 Financiamiento de Servicios de Interpretación Visual Presentada por el California Council of the Blind, Consejo de Ciegos de California y Robert Acosta. Por cuanto es muy posible que el acceso a la información, en todas sus formas, sea el mayor impedimento para la independencia de las personas ciegas o con baja visión. Y por cuanto los avances tecnológicos han generado nuevos servicios de interpretación visual, como AIRA, que brindan servicios profesionales y confidenciales por una tarifa, y por cuanto dichos servicios de interpretación visual están diseñados para ofrecer diferentes tipos de asistencia a los clientes con problemas de visión, por ejemplo, para leer el correo y otros materiales, para administrar y leer los resultados de las pruebas médicas en el hogar, para leer las pantallas de las computadoras y para proporcionar información ambiental que les permita viajar de forma segura. Y por cuanto en general, 
El costo de dichos servicios de interpretación visual está fuera del alcance de las personas con pérdida de la visión de bajos y medianos ingresos. El American Council of the Blind, reunido en convención, resuelve que esta organización exhorte a sus afiliados a abogar por el financiamiento de servicios profesionales de interpretación visual a nivel estatal para personas ciegas o con baja visión. Fin de la resolución 2023-12 Resolution 2023-13 Ride-Sharing and Communication Submitted by Guillermo Robles, Steve Bauer and the California Council of the Blind Whereas on-demand transportation services such as Lyft and Uber have had an extremely positive impact on the independence of people who are blind or have low vision across the country. And, whereas, the use of these services requires effective, direct, and clear communication between driver and passenger. And, whereas, a passenger who is blind or has low vision is negatively impacted by language barriers and absence of verbal communication. And, whereas... The lack of effective, direct, and clear communication has resulted in the following. Unmet requests for a driver to communicate verbally to the passenger of their presence and to identify their location. Failure of a driver to follow passenger instructions. Passengers being dropped off in incorrect and often unsafe locations. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the American Council of the Blind in convention assembled that... This organization initiate discussion with said service providers to seek changes in the service platform in order to allow passengers who are blind or have low vision to communicate their preferred language and to ensure that drivers who may take their ride requests are limited to those who speak the preferred language of the passenger who is blind or has low vision. End of Resolution 2023-13 Resolution 2023-13 Transporte Compartido y Comunicación presentada por Guillermo Robles, Steve Bauer y el California Council of the Blind, Consejo de Ciegos de California. Por cuanto los servicios de transporte a pedido, como Lyft y Uber, han tenido un impacto sumamente positivo en la independencia de las personas ciegas o con baja visión en todo el país. Y por cuanto el uso de estos servicios requiere una comunicación eficaz, directa y clara entre el chofer y el pasajero. Y por cuanto para un pasajero ciego o con baja visión las barreras del idioma y la falta de comunicación verbal tienen un impacto negativo. Y por cuanto la falta de comunicación eficaz, directa y clara se ha traducido en situaciones como las siguientes. El chofer se rehúsa a comunicar verbalmente al pasajero su presencia e identificar su ubicación. El chofer no sigue las instrucciones del pasajero. El chofer deja al pasajero es un lugar incorrecto y, a menudo, inseguro. El American Council of the Blind, reunido en convención, resuelve que esta organización entable un diálogo con dichos proveedores de servicios para solicitar cambios en la plataforma de servicios a fin de que los pasajeros ciegos o con baja visión puedan comunicar su idioma preferido y para garantizar que solo sean transportados por choferes que hablan el idioma preferido del pasajero ciego o con baja visión. Fin de la resolución 2023-13 Madam President, would you like to continue with the Constitution and Bylaws? Yes, please. The Constitution and Bylaws Committee is pleased to submit the following proposed bylaw amendments to the membership, and the committee recommends a due pass on the proposed amendments set forth herein. 2023-01, proposed amendment to Bylaw 5A to make the ACB Treasurer a mandatory member of the Budget Committee. 
Bylaw 5. Powers and Duties of the Board of Directors. Current Language. A. The Board of Directors shall elect a subcommittee of three, open parenthesis three close parenthesis, which shall review and make recommendations to the Board regarding the annual budget submitted by the Executive Director. Once a budget has been adopted by the Board of Directors, it cannot be altered except by a two-thirds, open parenthesis, two-slash-three close parenthesis, vote of the Board of Directors. Proposed Amendment Language A. The Board of Directors shall elect three, open parenthesis three, close parenthesis, members to serve with the Treasurer on a committee which shall review and make recommendations to the Board regarding the annual budget submitted by the Executive Director. Once a budget has been adopted, it cannot be altered except by a two-thirds, open parenthesis, two-slash-three, close parenthesis, vote of the board. End of Bylaw Amendment 2023-01. 2023-02. Proposed Amendment to Bylaw 6D, to set the time for the appointment of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee to coincide with that specified for the Resolutions Committee. Setting a new deadline of 60. Open parenthesis 60 close parenthesis, days before the opening of the Convention for Submission of Constitution and or Bylaw Amendments to the Committee, and striking the sentence referencing submission of amendments in ASCII format. Bylaw 6. Committee's current language, D. Constitution and Bylaws Committee. At least 90. Open parenthesis. 90 close parenthesis. Days prior to the opening of each annual conference and convention, the President shall appoint a chairperson and at least four, open parenthesis four, close parenthesis, additional members to a Constitution and Bylaws Committee. This committee shall have the responsibility of considering and preparing amendments to the Constitution and Bylaws for presentation to the conference and convention. All proposed amendments to the Constitution and or bylaws must be submitted in writing to the Constitution and Bylaws Committee on or before the end of the first day, following the day of the roll call meeting of the conference and convention. Amendments, whenever possible, shall be submitted electronically in ASCII text format. The Constitution and Bylaws Committee must report all such written submissions with or without committee recommendation. Proposed Amendment Language, D. Constitution and Bylaws Committee. The President within 60, open parenthesis 60, close parenthesis, days after the close of each national conference and convention, shall appoint a chairperson and not less than four, open parenthesis four, close parenthesis, additional members to a Constitution and Bylaws Committee. This committee shall have the responsibility of considering and preparing amendments to the Constitution and bylaws for presentation to the conference and convention. Any amendments to be considered shall be submitted to the committee not less than 60 open parenthesis, 60 close parenthesis, days prior to the opening date of each conference and convention. The Constitution and Bylaws Committee shall report all proposed Constitution and or bylaw amendments to the Conference and Convention, with or without committee recommendation. End of Bylaw Amendment 2023-02 This concludes the ACB Constitution and Bylaw Amendments for consideration on June 23, 2023. El Comité de Constitución y Estatutos se complace en presentar a los miembros las siguientes propuestas de enmiendas a los estatutos y recomienda aprobarlas tal como se exponen en este documento. 2023-01, Propuesta de Enmienda al Estatuto 5A, 
para convertir al tesorero del ACB en miembro obligatorio del Comité de Presupuesto Estatuto 5. Facultades y deberes de la Junta Directiva. Texto actual. A. La Junta Directiva elegirá un subcomité de tres, three, miembros para que revise y haga recomendaciones a la Junta con respecto al presupuesto anual presentado por el director ejecutivo. Una vez que la Junta Directiva haya adoptado un presupuesto, solo podrá modificarse con el voto de dos tercios, two thirds, de los miembros de la Junta Directiva. Enmienda propuesta. A. La Junta Directiva elegirá a tres, three, miembros para que, junto con el tesorero, integren un comité para que revise y haga recomendaciones a la Junta con respecto al presupuesto anual presentado por el director ejecutivo. Una vez que se haya adoptado un presupuesto, solo podrá modificarse con el voto de dos tercios, two, three, de los miembros de la Junta. 2023-02. Propuesta de enmienda al Estatuto 6D para establecer un plazo para el nombramiento del Comité de Constitución y Estatutos que coincida con el especificado para el Comité de Resoluciones. Establecer un nuevo plazo de 60, 60 días antes de la apertura de la Convención para la Presentación de Enmiendas a la Constitución y o estatutos al comité y eliminar la frase que hace referencia a la presentación de enmiendas en formato ACI. Estatuto 6. Comités texto actual. D. Comité de Constitución y Estatutos. Al menos 90. 90. Días antes de la apertura de cada conferencia y convención anual, el presidente del ACB designará un presidente y al menos cuatro. 4. Miembros adicionales para que conformen un comité de constitución y estatutos. Dicho comité tendrá la responsabilidad de considerar y preparar enmiendas a la Constitución y los estatutos para su presentación en la conferencia y convención. Todas las propuestas de enmiendas a la Constitución y o los estatutos deben presentarse por escrito al Comité de Constitución y Estatutos antes del final del primer día siguiente, al día de la reunión nominal de la conferencia y convención. Las enmiendas, siempre que sea posible, se presentarán por vía electrónica en formato de texto ASTEI. El Comité de Constitución y Estatutos debe informar sobre todas las presentaciones escritas, con o sin recomendación del Comité. Enmienda propuesta. D. Comité de Constitución y Estatutos. El presidente del ACB, dentro de los 60, 60 días posteriores a la clausura de cada conferencia y convención nacional, nombrará un presidente y no menos de cuatro, four, Miembros adicionales para que conformen un Comité de Constitución y Estatutos. Dicho comité tendrá la responsabilidad de considerar y preparar enmiendas a la Constitución y los Estatutos para su presentación en la conferencia y convención. Cualquier enmienda que deba someterse a consideración deberá presentarse al comité no menos de 60, 60, días antes de la fecha de apertura de cada conferencia y convención. El Comité de Constitución y Estatutos informará todas las propuestas de enmiendas a la Constitución y o estatutos a la conferencia y convención, con o sin recomendación del Comité.